Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, it's Chase and Josh with Factor Fantasy again, coming at you in your ears and your eyes if you're on the YouTube. We're excited to bring you something new today. We've officially gotten through Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire in its entirety, and we are starting Chase's favorite book, Harry Potter and the Order of Phoenix, today. Chase and Josh, Ch -ch Chase and Josh. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> no, this is this one's my favorite book. Um, once again, I pulled the old, you know, classic Chase, you know, Josh tells me weeks <laughs> weeks ahead of time. Don't wait to the last minute and guess what? I did. Now, here I will say this, I read like a couple of chapters, so I thought that was giving me like, you know, if I got the first one out of the way, I'd be okay cuz I thought that was like the biggest one. Boy, was I wrong. <laughs> this is my favorite book. Um, yeah, man. Uh, tell us about... I see you got uh, the Order of the Phoenix book on your end, JNL. You got some new visuals and stuff going on, it looks like. We do. I got actually some a lot of new things we've both, we're have both we going to be excited to share today. Uh, the first thing that you'll see if you are watching us on the YouTube channel, if you're not and you're just listening through uh, the uh, audio portion... Chase and I have got new shirts uh, of our updated cover art. So you'll see Chase over there with the uh, purple shirt. I've got mine in black. And on the back, it actually has both of our, like, my la mine has my last name on it. Chase has his last name on his on his shirt. We wanted to bust it out for the new, uh, the new book that we're tackling today. So it was a great thing. So it was funny because uh, two, day two days ago on Friday is when I got the notification that was going to be delivered. And so I was so impatient. I couldn't even wait for the delivery guy to come to my apartment. I drove to the post office at 8 o'clock in the morning because the one over by me opens at 8.30. I stayed in the parking lot for a half an hour to make sure I was the first one in there and uh, picked up the shirts. For us. So that way we knew, I made sure we had it for Sunday. Because you never know with everything going on with COVID-19 and the delays in the mail process, if it would have been shipped on they got to us on friday or on saturday or if we would have missed it so i just i took it out of their hands i showed up i said i want i want my shirts i gave them the tracking <laughs> number so here you guys go you'll see it i'll, I'll do a little stand up for you yeah and, give uh, them a, let them see the the back man. do the turnaround let me see if i can do bro. a quick turnaround here it's yeah. gonna look interesting on the do the catwalk <laughs> i'm just kidding you can hit the dougie or something yeah, that name looks sick, man. That looks so, that looks awesome. I gotta yeah, get that Jay Nelly's all the props on this man. He designed these shirts, and uh, he's designed the shirts every time. Like I, uh, when we first started out, almost wow, that was like before we even really got the podcast. Like we were just establishing our brand, Ridiculous Patronus. I <laughs> made a couple of shirts, and they just turned out so bad. <laughs> they were so rough. So, uh, you know, Jay Nelly's definitely the, the visual guy here. So all you ladies right there, all you ladies, <laughs> if you need like, you know, a house decorator with a guy that looks, uh, you know, uh, I'm, you know, I got a girlfriend, but you know, he's, he's a pretty good looking guy. So, you know, he's, he's still single out there somewhat. So <laughs> <laughs> I can, I can give you guys great ideas for shirts and, and uh, artistry, but I can't actually make anything myself. I, <laughs> I can't write. My handwriting's terrible. I can't draw. I can draw stick figures. That's about it. But I've got a decent eye for what looks good on on like images. So definitely. Um, man. 
But yeah, dude, so that's exciting. And, and what the cool part is too is is we, if you guys see, it's a little bit different this time where we both had the black shirts before. Chase actually went the daring route, and he's like, dude, give me the perp, give me the purple with the gold lettering. So he's actually got the purple shirt, and on the back, his uh, last name Brown is actually in gold. So uh, it looks, it's pretty cool. It's like our home jersey, our away jersey. It's. It's really interesting. So we, we couldn't wait to bust them out for, for you guys today here to start Order of the Phoenix because it's a new book, fresh start, baby. And, uh, yeah, as far as what's on my screen, it's pretty much the same that I usually do. I've got the uh, the film here on your left-hand side, the uh, book on your right-hand side, and I also have what I have is set up. I always have them set up for a reason. I have Sirius Black and Dumbledore in the middle, Obviously, it's a little bit of... I don't want to tell you why I have them in there, but they're big moments in this book concerning these two characters, and so that's why I put them at the forefront. Uh, so that's what I did over there. Chase, you actually got some new stuff in its entirety. You got, what, new books? You got uh, dust covers, a whole new <laughs> novel, man. So tell them a little bit about what you got going on on your side. Yeah, I mean, well, first props to you, Jay Nelly. I'll do just a quick spin in my chair real quick so they can see the lettering, because you came up with this, man. That's That's all you. That's... That's like Kobe Bryant style, you know, rest in peace to one of the greats, man. I still remember when, uh, you know, we still remember the day he died, and then we came up with Felix on the front here, so still representing our, our mascot, man, and uh, that's, yep. all, that's all you, man. So um, as far as Order of the Phoenix, we, we actually did, uh, for all of our fans out there, you probably saw Jay Nelly and I did uh, an opening, like, a, I guess it was like few weeks back now like three weeks back i uh got actually this book uh i ordered um from a, a guy i met through the grapevine that was a 2003 factory sealed deluxe edition order of the phoenix book and we did a live stream like our one of our first live streams actually on uh instagram with that so that was pretty cool and uh on the front you know since i'm an order of the phoenix guy I like how you're goblet of fire like, yeah, I love how it has, like, 12 Grimwald's place, um, which you're the serious man, dude. <laughs> Literally, I'm I'm a Lupin guy, but no, nah, man, 12 Grimwald place is, is sick. And on the back, we showed on the video, it's got, you know, them on the broomsticks. And then what we'll talk about today, like, part of it is, you know, the Dementors are there, which those are some of the most terrifying creatures I would not want to meet in a dark alley. <laughs> That's for sure. Um, on this side, uh, I told y'all, I guess a few weeks back, my mom actually surprised me for uh, Christmas. Uh, the box was just like a picture of Dobby. <laughs> so I thought it was really strange <laughs> until I like took the picture out and saw it was inside. But it was actually all the British versions of Harry Potter. So uh, I got the British Order of the Phoenix here, which is really cool. And then, um, actually, my girlfriend, shout out to her, she surprised me with this last minute uh, for my birthday. So everyone that wished me a happy birthday on there really means a lot. Uh, Jay Nelly, uh, we had an awesome time. <laughs> Went over to Epcot, had some uh, drinks. This guy over here never lets you pay for anything. <laughs> I don't know why he does that, but this weekend, like I said, we were going down to Tampa for that Super Bowl game because we're in Florida, so... I'll be making sure I get him some drinks there. And the good Lord knows I owe him after what I just pulled last night, thinking I knew I had this in the bag because it was my favorite book. I'm telling you right now, I'll say it live right here on the air, man. I'm never doing that to this guy again. My book will be done ahead of time. This is two times now I've thought I've had it in the bag. 
And like we've said, with Goblet and Order of the Phoenix, that's where you separate the men from the boys. And he had to, you know, straight up hacksaw ridge me to pull me out of there alive. Survivor of the boys, man. Survivor. Uh, so this is the Gryffindor version actually here. I've always been a Ravenclaw guy until, you know, I told you I retook my Pottermore test. And I somehow I transferred over to... Uh, you know, the guy on the other side of the screen here <laughs> pulled me over to that Gryffindor side, which, you know, I don't mind it. You know, Hermione is always my girl, so <laughs> good stuff. And then um, on the right here, actually, uh, this is my favorite one just because it does hold sentimental value. Nothing special about it, honestly. Like, it's just an original uh, Order of the Phoenix from 2003, but it's the one of the first books um, my grandparents got me a Harry Potter and I still have my name written in it from, I think it was like the fifth grade. And I still remember, uh, I told Jay Nelly the story cause I don't know why, like, I guess cause like so many people were so drawn to Goblet of Fire at the time. I was just kind of one of those rebellious people. I was like, well, Order of the Phoenix is mine then. Like, I'm going to make sure I like this more than the other one. And I still remember I um, Goblet of Fire. I think it took me like a week. This is back in the day where, you know, all you don't have a job, so all you did was play video games and read, pretty much, right? Because it's cheap and you know you don't have any money. <laughs> when we were like in elementary school, and I still remember my dad and my uncle had made plans for that Friday night to surprise me to take me to the Pirates of the Caribbean movie with Johnny Depp, the first one with the Curse of the Black Pearl. And I didn't know anything about it. I just knew, like, I was super excited to go to the movies with my dad. So the reward for myself was I was going to make sure I finished Order of the Phoenix before I saw that Friday night. And I still finished it literally, like, an hour before. And I read this book. It was literally, like, right on the three-day deadline. I got it that Wednesday, and the movie came out that Friday. So it's I think that's part of the reason why I like it so much. And um, I think this is... Goblet of Fire really shows you at the very end how Dumbledore, you can definitely see that other side of him starting now. And and one thing we'll talk about in, you know, weeks to come here, it's got one of my favorite... Dumbledore, I love him to death. Um, he's definitely one of my favorite characters. He's not my favorite favorite, but like he, one of the my favorite battles, my favorite battle is actually in this book. And you really see how he steps up for his team here versus, you know, how he was taking his tickets to the Ministry of Magic and Sorcerer's Stone and showing up at the last minute. So you really get to see that side of Dumbledore. But, yeah, man, I'll, I'll let you kick us off. And uh, props to Jay Nelly, man. The uh, big shout-out to this guy. The work he does for us here, you really don't see, man. I mean, pick you up off on your feet <laughs> when you got some work to do. He'll always, you know... Uh, everything as far as like what y'all don't see all the tech side all the extra bonus stuff we're going to be coming out with all the live streams all the feedback on social media that helps our social media game go up uh that's all jay nelly here before we get started uh just don't forget you know definitely click that subscribe button leave us a review follow us on instagram at official ridiculous patronus or jay nelly or our brown 129 uh, and with that, I'll let Jay Nelly kick us off today, man. The coach. Sounds like a plan, dude. You got it. So another thing, too, is because we're doing something. Now that we're starting a new book, we're doing something a little bit different as well. Chase and I, it was funny. We talked about it a few <laughs> days back. We came to the great compromise of 2021. <laughs> the great compromise. <laughs> so uh, 
what I was the to give you guys like the short end of the long story. Um, you know, we wanted to make sure that we're giving you our bread and butter, and it seemed that we were kind of straying away from our debates a little bit in the in the previous episodes, just because there's so much to cover in these bigger books. And so to do so, we have to have to trim out a couple things. And so I want to just cut like Chase's favorite part like out completely, and like you know just just do like none except say like so his favorite parts interesting facts. So I wanted to just cut that out completely and say, hey man, just do your interesting facts at the end of the book like we do for the top magical creatures. And he's like. Um, no, <laughs> he's like, we just got to keep doing it as it is. And I was like, yeah, well, we're going to, we're kind of running out of time. And so long story short, we came to the compromise. He's like, well, how about this? Like, how about we both cut out something that's important to us? You cut out foreshadowed events as a section, you know, and I'll cut out interesting facts, but I'll do one of my choice of interesting facts and you can do your foreshadows throughout the impact moments. And so we came to that compromise guys says, so you will see from now on through the rest of Harry Potter there's not going to be a foreshadowed event section. It's going to be sprinkled in with impact moments. We're going to casually mention the foreshadows as we go through the impact moments. And interesting facts is actually going to be one interesting fact per episode. But it can be you know whichever one you want it to be as long as it is. So you're going to see the outlines a bit different. But it's going to leave us some more time for the cool things that you guys miss, like the debates. And we're really pumped for that because Chase did tell me. He didn't tell me what they were. But he let me know that there's going to be two debates here today that I'm excited to uh, get into. So looking forward to see what he shoots at me. Um, but yeah, man, let's. Do you want to just jump right into where we're at for the book and start start this thing from zero to a hundred real quick? <laughs> I think that's great, man. Uh, just one quick comment on that because you mentioned the interesting facts. Uh, I thought this was cool. We're probably not going to do this every week, but just because you know uh, we do as a team, we decided you know for interesting facts. Interesting facts, of course, they really don't matter that much. It's just kind of something different, kind of gets your mind off of it, and it's not so serious, and you can kind of think of something different that you haven't known because, you know, we all grew up with Harry Potter, right? Um, but because, you know, we are dedicated to you guys here, and it, it's always shown so much through the reviews and the, you know, just the literally, like, just the support you've had from day one. Uh, we might not do this every week, but every now and then, like uh, this week, I'm going to try to come out with like a, a special. It's not going to be like super long. Um, like probably it's not going to be the length of a normal episode, but it'll be, you know, you'll get all those bonus extra interesting facts in like a, a quick like one hour episode for you that I'll throw out every now and then just because we want to show uh, that it's just a, a big thank you to you guys, all you do for us. And, you know, we're never going to short you on that content. And you never know, maybe I can... Uh, drag Jay Nelly in when he's like over one day I'll <laughs> yeah grab an extra like foreshadowed or something from him so uh but really that's just a testament to you guys and we might not do that every week but um you will have to go on the podcast to see that we're not going to put it on YouTube or anything because that's really just uh we're not doing it because it's really the part of the outline now we're doing it as a thank you to you guys so yeah, and like, like uh, it's funny because I call it the, the Chase Brown special. You guys will be getting some like Wednesday releases of the Chase Brown special for interesting facts because, as you know, it, what, what, that's his favorite thing to do. And if you've been paying attention to our Harry Potter episodes, when it comes to the interesting facts section, I'll say like one thing, it takes me all of like a minute and a half. And Chase, like, he like gets his eyes light up, gets really excited. He goes to like, you know, five to seven interesting facts normally in, in an episode. Um, so. Didn't want to take that away from him entirely, so we came up with a compromise that he'll do his uh, interesting facts as a separate, like, not like a side series, but like, you know, just to throw in there 
on some special Wednesdays to give you guys some extra bonus content on top of you know us going through the Harry Potter series like we have been doing. So hey, it's a great idea this. we called. Uh, oh, sorry yeah. not to interrupt you, Jay Nelly. I was just gonna say hey, it's uh it's funny how we've been doing this a year now and how much we've grown. <laughs> we noticed because if we go back, <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, me and Jay Nelly are the type like. We'll go at each other's throats just for no reason because we've been exhausted and doing research or we've been at work all day. <laughs> and like, I sent him a gift that was like, I'm willing to compromise as long as mine, I do all of mine. <laughs> so, um, That's what it was. Like, I'm willing to compromise as long as I don't not do mine. <laughs> so, yeah. but no, it was, it was is, funny. We call it going to be good. So, and I think it's a great idea. And, you know, we're going to have to always make these compromises, like, down the road. Like, this is, I would say, my argument is leaving the films out of it. I would say this is probably the greatest fantasy <laughs> franchise of all time. Leaving the films out of it. Agreed. I'm, I'm with you. Yeah. I, I am 100% with you, man. I think Harry Potter is my favorite of all the fantasy franchises that I've been a part of. Um, it has a lot of sentimental value, us growing up and all that good stuff, too. So it, it was the great compromise of 2021, baby. And <laughs> yeah. I, on top of that, too... Um, like you were talking about the growth as we are like people like you guys don't really understand when we say we go to each other's throats like we don't mean that in a nice way like that's that's like like kid <laughs> punching bag way of saying that like him and i will like curse each other out like shout like <laughs> get mad i'll send all caps like well like you will just like be angry for like a, a good solid hour it, <laughs> we'll but this is time like we, we stayed the course <laughs> you know yeah exactly i we stayed the course and uh, we came to a compromise, so it was a good. It was a good test of uh, how we've grown over the year and a, and a two year and two months that we've been doing this uh, podcast. So, hey, real quick, and I think it's started, time to. Sorry. Uh, I, yeah, I, sorry, I I, uh, I keep interrupting you here and throwing stuff in. Last thing, uh, just before you get started, because you probably won't bring it up for like a long time unless there's a malice in the chalice. Oh, uh, by the way, I was just gonna say, you know, this is all Jay Nelly. He thought, you know. They should go on this go for this HBO Harry Potter series. And I don't know what it is, man, but apparently uh, people really like our stuff. So not going to lie, it's probably been thought in the works for a while, but it's pretty cool. Um, You know, I'll just say the higher power always there has a plan for us because it looks like even, you know, if we wind up finishing months down the road, we might not be entirely done with Harry Potter yet. 100% right. There's there's uh, been words, there's been whispers <laughs> in the entertainment business that uh, there may be, an, that, that we would be talking about, we would really like if they did the, an HBO live action series of Harry Potter. And there's, there's talks. You guys can go look that up. Uh, nothing's confirmed yet, of course, but... It was really cool timing how we mentioned it, and then a couple <laughs> days later, that kind of was made public, and that was really interesting. So, hey, Malice good in the call, chalice. man. I, I like that. I like that. <laughs> Cheers. Yes, yeah. let's, I let's get this bad know, we're boy on a, going. We're on a new book now. We got to get a Malice before you get going, man. Malice in the Chalice. Hundred percent. Best friends for life. Let's do this thing. Let's knock it out of the park today. That we shall. So. We're going to start with, uh, yeah, chapters one through eight today is what we'll tackle. And that will take us, you know, from the beginning of the book through the hearing. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of big stuff kind of happens right off the bat. You know, it's funny because we were talking about when I was younger, I thought it was slower, but I was reading slower. And so when I read it this time, I was like, wow, I didn't realize stuff happened right away like this. And so 
Um, to, to get us started, I thought this was kind of cool. Not that that was terribly important, but that Harry had grown a lot in a short space of time. Just because Ron has kind of always been the taller person in their friend group, and he's still the tallest, but like this is like you were starting to see like the the aging of Harry, like growing up from and in adolescence, like he's in that that stage. You know, we talked about it in Last Week in Goblet, where he's going to a, a the Yule Ball, asking girls out on dates, right? And that's a little bit of a foreshadow for what kind of happens later in this book, but. Uh, He's he's growing up. He's 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 not like the eleven year old boy anymore. He's almost he's almost a man. He's because at the Wizarding World, age seventeen is when you become an adult, and so he's he's now fifteen, and uh, he's he's grown a lot in a short space of time, is what it said. So, other thing I thought was cool too, is that Harry's sitting there trying to listen to the news. Now, why this is important is because as we know, where we left off in Goblet of Fire, Harry escaped the graveyard, dueled Lord Voldemort survived brought had Cedric's dead body back but since that's happened it's been like silent like nothing's been going on and he's getting really like antsy and anxious because last time Voldemort was at the height of his powers he there was death, death and destruction everywhere and so he's expecting like this is what's supposed to be happening right now and there, there's nothing happening there's nothing crazy on the Muggle news the Daily Prophet of course hasn't been reporting anything because they think Harry is a liar from the last one remember Cornelius Fudge didn't even want to believe it you know, and that they take that to a whole new level in this book too. But last thing I'll put on before I toss it over to you is uh, we find out that Dudley, at 15 years old, has a gang. <laughs> Dudley has a gang at 15 years old, and they vandalize play parks, they smoke cigarettes on the street corner, and they throw stones at passing cars and children. So Dudley and his little gang are just a bunch of troublemakers, even though their parents love them. Like. Uncle Vernon and Aunt Petunia, they think he could do no wrong. Who do you know at age 15 is sitting there on the street corner smoking cigarettes, throwing stones at cars and children? Like, what in the world? So, I thought that was pretty interesting uh, that we're starting the hooligan life this young. But what I'll do with that is I'll turn it over to you, brother. Yeah. Um, speaking of, because I do want to bring this up, speaking of um, Dudley, and this isn't mentioned for like a, a good amount of pages from there, but like, Dude's lost a lot of weight, man. He's getting in shape, bro. Coming to high school uh, weight cha- uh, boxing champion, man. That's a pretty big deal. So Uncle Vernon's like in the in the right corner, in the left corner, you know, pumping <laughs> him up. Got that Rocky working hard song. So someone's been running behind him. I don't know if it's the Crips or it's the Bloods or it's the dogs <laughs> of the neighborhood that's been chasing him down. But he's got some cardio finally, so that's that's pretty solid. Um, one thing I did want to say, like, so just first, like, opening up this book, it gives you that vibe like Harry's depressed or something. Do you know what I mean? Like, I get it. Like, he hasn't heard from his friends and stuff. But let's talk about that for a minute. It's almost like a different vibe. Like, almost like when he came back from that graveyard, almost like someone in the army right that's been through like a traumatic event i would say if you think about it it's almost like he's got ptsd like he's having nightmares about this stuff he's he, he's almost like not the same kid like he even like last year right when we were talking about which i say last year not last year of our show last year in the book so last book as far as like when harry was even like at the dursleys yeah he wasn't like happy being there even in chamber of secrets like He was treated horrible, basically starved to death, but you still had even, like, that happy 
Like, I'm still going to always look on the bright side, Harry. Like, now it's like I'm just pissed off all the time. And we'll talk about this in a minute. Like, one thing we'll get into today is, is like, what happens in that, like, alleyway. But he was almost, like, asking for it, though. Like, I mean, it's not like he was really keeping himself out of trouble. But, so, first thing when I open this book, just some cool, like, highlighting points. Like I was saying, you know, like, Harry's, like, looking for anything, like, exciting or action-packed, but, like, the only exciting thing on the news isn't even exciting. Like, there was a helicopter that crash-landed in Surrey that killed, like, an, uh, killed some famous people, and then an actress got a divorce, so, like, almost like People magazine that Ampetunia's been watching, like, over and over, right? Uh, and then from there you had, like, um, like... I almost like it was like a strike that was going on in Spain or something. It was uh, called record no numbers of the stranded holiday makers fill airports at the Spanish baggage handler strike is what they called it. So it's like Harry's like trying to f like these are things that aren't that important, but he's almost like, you know, you come from. The guy that you're closest to now you thought was a mass murderer and you were trying to figure it out all summer. And now, like, your summers are like, okay, what disease broke out on a cruise line? <laughs> like, we're trying to, like, dig into something here. Um, so then from uh, that point, like, he's, you know, he really, like, starts this whole bickerment with Uncle Vernon, right? And... This and then I'll turn it over right back to you. But uh, I did write this part down because it's like the first time we really kind of something's not right here. Like something's really odd. It says a loud echoing crack broke sleepy silence like a gunshot. A cat streaked out from under the parked car and flew out flew out of sight. A shriek bellowed oath and the sound of breaking china came from the Dursleys' living room. And as though Harry had been waiting for the signal, he jumped to his feet at the same time pulling from the waistband of his jeans a thin wooden wand as if unseething a sword so like he's asking for it at this point like he just grabs his wand uh but before he could draw himself up to full height the top of his head collided with the dursley's open window and the resultant crash made aunt petunia scream even louder harry felt as if his head had been split into eyes streaming uh he swayed trying to focus on the street a spot and spot the source of the noise we had barely staggered upright again when two large purple uh, orbs reached the open window and closed tightly around his throat. Put it away, Uncle Vernon snarled at Harry's ear. Now, before anyone sees, get off of me. <laughs> no compromise whatever, uh, whatsoever, Harry. Harry gasped for a few seconds and then struggled and they, as they struggled. Harry pulling at his Uncle Vernon's... Uncle's, uh, sausage like fingers with his left hands a right maintaining a firm grip on his raised wand then as the pain in the top of harry's head gave a particularly nasty throb uncle vernon yelped and released harry as though he had received an electric shock some invisible force seemed to have surged through his nephew making him impossible to hold panting harry fell forward over on the Hydria bush. How do you say it? Hydria bush? H Y Hydrangea. Hydrangea. I gotta study my herbology, man. Uh, straightened <laughs> up and stared around. There was no sign of what caused the loud cracking noise, but there were several faces peering through the various nearby windows. 
Harry stuffed his wand hastily back into his jeans and tried to look innocent. Lovely evening, shouted Uncle Vernon, waving at uh, Miss Number 7, who was glaring from behind his net curtains. Did you hear that car backfire just now? <laughs> Gave Petunia quite, uh, quite a turn, he continued with a grin in a horrible maniac way until all the curious neighbors had disappeared from their various windows. And then the grin became a grimace of rage as he beckoned Harry back towards him. Harry moved a few steps closer, taking care uh, to stop just short of the point at which Uncle Vernon's outstretched hands could resume the strangling. What the devil do you mean by it, boy? Asked Uncle Vernon, its croaky voice that trembled uh, with fury. And with that, I'll, I'll turn it back over to you. But it's like, it, my point, the reason I read that is because, so obviously we know something's not normal that's going on here. Second thing is, it's like Harry's almost trying to get himself into trouble uh, this summer. So and with that, I'll turn it back over to you, man. Sure, yeah. So just a couple things on, on what you said there, like, the, the loud crack is actually the first foreshadow that like I had noticed, mm -hmm. you know, because obviously we figure out who caused that here shortly. But uh, I think at that point, like, he's been dying for some bit of the magical community. Like, he's just wanting to have so like, like he's basically been ignored. All the letters he sent to his friends, they're right. basically not saying anything back because they they're afraid the letters might get intercepted. So like, any sort of thing that could possibly be a a sign of the magical community. Like, he's trying to jump in there like swimwear, man. So, like, <laughs> like uh, but he ends up, yeah, he gets frustrated. He's like, it's got to be lonely. You know, he does, he's not wanted at that house as it is. Like, they, the Dursleys don't want him there. They don't love him at all. Like, they give him a place to stay. That's about it. But usually, you know, in the summer times, he's got good conversation going back and forth. And, like, at least an with his friends and at least has an idea of, like, when he can go visit Ron at the borough or whatever, like, and he, this summer, it's all like silent. Like it's not. He's not receiving anything. He's losing his mind. But to continue on here, uh, for the thing on page three, I was going to read the last couple paragraphs here. Um, he let out a long, slow breath and stared up the brilliant blue sky. Every day this summer had been the same: the tension, the expectation, the temporary relief, then the mounting tension again, and always growing more insistent all the time. The question of why nothing had happened yet. He kept listening just in case there was some small clue not recognized for what it really was by muggles. An unexplained disappearance, perhaps, or some strange accident. But the baggage handler strike was followed by the news on the drought. And then a helicopter almost crashed. So basically, the whole point of that is nothing's happening. And he doesn't understand why nothing's happening. Voldemort's back. Last time there was a bunch of death and destruction. Why are we not hearing anything on either the Daily Prophet or... Or in the Muggle news, usually that they could. He's like, man, I could figure out if like something exploded, and the, the Muggles think it's a gas leak. It's probably Voldemort, or like it has something to do with that. But it's just radio silence, and it just adds to his agitation. Like, like he said, he was going through the whole PTSD thing of like, like growing apprehension, relief that nothing happened, and then growing worried again. Like, and like starting the whole process over. Not to mention the dreams that he's been having too. It's just, there's a lot going on, and then, you know. It, like you said, like there's like the Dursley think Harry is the one that casted the spell that made the loud sound, mm -hmm. but he didn't. He's not the one that he like they, they're they're wrong. But what that leads to us is like there's someone else that's magical that's near him. So like, what's going on at this point? Someone made the loud crack, and usually what's that sound of a crack is someone apparating or disapparating. Right. So it's like, what's going on here? <laughs> but uh, now the last thing I'll have is just just a quick foreshadow that I'll put is just the, the fourth paragraph here 
when it says uh, he that he went and so this this is actually I would say fairly important. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm trying to figure out the best way to to put it out here in words, but. When he said, he's like, he walked on hardly aware of the route he was taking, for he had pounded these streets so often lately, he felt that his feet carried him to his favorite haunts automatically. Every few steps he glanced back over his shoulder, someone magical had been near him as he lay among Ampetonia's dying begonias, he was sure of it, but why hadn't they spoken to him? Why hadn't they made contact, and why were they hiding now? And the only reason I didn't want to, like, put that out there in a way is because, like, it's going to ruin what we come to find out is Harry hasn't been alone at Privet Drive really his entire life. He had no idea that there's been people watching for him. And so that's why it's just one of those important moments there that, that he's not alone. Like, there is someone <laughs> magical near him, and not only is there someone magical near him then, we find out, like, he's, he's always had somebody. So I'll let you continue on from that point. Yeah, no, and uh, that's, a, that's a big... I have a... A question regarding that situation later that I'll bring up after we discuss this chapter and that's one of my big debates today that I'll awesome. talk to you about um, the next thing I really had was like I feel like which you really touched on it a good bit just like how well I kind of you mentioned the apparating disapparating but deapparating but as far as like her like Hermione and Ron's letters like basically say nothing to him like i mean they they literally say we can't say much about you you know what obviously we've been told not to say anything important in case our letters go astray we're quite busy but i can't give you details here there's a fair amount going on we'll tell you everything when we see you like i mean and keep in mind too i i think part of it is you know we've talked about this in in past episodes this is really the first time like harry's had a chance to have a normal summer like, if you think about it, every summer, he's basically getting prepared to, like, fight some massive creature that's trying to kill him. Or you got, like, Voldemort that's coming back. Or you got Dobby that's visiting his house and saying, you can't go to Hogwarts this year. Or, you know, something's going on. Um, or he gets, ki- you know, he's kicked himself out of his house and sees some massive-ass dog. <laughs> like, I mean, this is really the first time he's had a chance to actually have a normal summer. So I think part of that, too, is, like, he's so almost, like, anxious to do something. Um, but he, he, one thing that stuck out to me is, like, when it was his birthday, he got so mad at uh, Ron and Hermione. He took the chocolate frogs and, like, and the honeydukes and, like, just threw them across the room, like, with them unopened because he was so pissed. Uh, because like this isn't a normal birthday for him like these are people in the past you know his two best friends Hermione sent him the broom kit years ago uh you know Ron was always sending him whether it was like you know the um whatever the birdie bots beans and all that stuff like I mean at least it's just the whole idea of saying hey same thing with Hagrid bought him you know the magical creatures book like he's got none of that this year so he's like trying to figure out what's going on um and like you said, he kept revisiting the graveyard and his nightmares. But um, serious, even serious letters, like the guy, like he, he has trusted like his whole time, like it, really like his dad. Like I mean, we see his dad, but a ghost apparition is not the same as like a like I get it, like it's your father, but 
he's not really there raising you right and like even serious is like your boy is like i know this must be frustrating to you keep your nose clean and everything will be okay be careful and don't do anything rash Thanks, That's man. a foreshadow right there, you know, yeah, saying that alone. Yeah. <laughs> like, don't do anything rash. Well, give it a page. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, it's like, all right. With that, I'll turn it back over to you. But, I mean, putting yourself in Harry's position, because I, I gave Harry a lot of criticism in this book because he, he I think he goes over the top on a, a lot of things and needs to grow up and start acting his age. But at the same time, I can see how he could get there. Um, because at the same time, too, I mean, a lot of people think he's crazy because they weren't actually in that graveyard. <laughs> so that's another point. With that, I'll turn it back over to you, man. Yeah, the crazy thing is, is that at this point, he doesn't even know. He, he looks at the front page of the Daily Prophet and then throws it away if there's no, been no mysterious murder. So he doesn't even know how bad that they're making him out to be. Like, you know, so he, mm-hmm. like, for him, it's just got to be the loneliness that's getting to him. Like he's the one that came back and showed everyone, and told everybody that Voldemort's returned. He had to, he's the one that had to duel him, and it's like he's the only one that's left out of everything. Like Ron and Hermione are over there doing. We're gonna get to what they're doing, and Dumbledore hasn't reached out and said anything. <laughs> Sirius is just saying, "Yeah, keep your nose clean, man. All good." Like, like he's like, "I, you guys wouldn't even know what's going on if it wasn't for me." Like, include me. Like he feels so like left out. I think more than anything, but um, yeah. Now going going on because. Like I, I actually had those last words for the, the part I was going to bring up when you read Sirius's words to him. There's one other thing in the page before I thought this was kind mm-hmm. of important, is when Harry says, And what were Ron and Hermione busy with? Why wasn't he, Harry, busy? Hadn't he proved himself capable of handling much more than they? Had they forgotten all about what he had done? Hadn't it been he who entered the graveyard and watched Cedric being murdered and then, been t- and then also been tied to that tombstone and nearly killed himself? Like, that's what I'm saying. Like, he has a point he's not wrong it's just once he, he doesn't think about it in any way except an emotional standpoint like there's obviously a reason why they're keeping things away like doesn't want it to fall into the wrong hands but regardless um going on to here to page nine uh this is right following sirius's words he says well thought harry as he crossed magnolia crossed magnolia crescent turned onto magnolia road and headed down towards a darkening play park he, by, large, by and large, had done in serious advice. He had at least resisted the temptation to tie his trunk to his broomstick and set off for the burrow by himself. In fact, Harry thought his behavior had been very good considering how frustrated and angry he felt at being stuck in Privet Drive this long, re- uh, this long, reduced to hiding in flower beds in the hopes of hearing something that might point to what Lord Voldemort was doing. Nevertheless, it was quite galling to be told not to be rash by a man who had served 12 years in the wizard prison, escaped, Attempted to commit the murder he had been convicted for in the first place, and then gone on the run with a stolen hippogriff. So it's a little ironic that Sirius is telling him not to be rash when Sirius has only been <laughs> rash his whole entire life. Um, now the second thing I'm going to have here for, and this is going to be on page ten in the second paragraph. It's uh, when he talks about it, the injustice of it all welled up inside him. So that he wanted to yell a fury. If it hadn't been for him, no one would have known Voldemort was back. And his reward was to be stuck here in Little Wing for four solid weeks, completely cut off from the magical world, reduced to squatting amongst dying begonias so he could hear about water skiing budgerigers. Now, how could Dumbledore have forgotten him so easily? Why had Ron and Hermione got together without inviting him also? And how much longer was he supposed to endure Sirius, tell him to sit tight and be a good boy, or resist the temptation to write to this stupid daily prophet and point out Voldemort had returned? 
These furious thoughts whirled around in Harry's head, and his insides writhed with anger as sultry, velvety night fell around him. So that's that's what I'll turn it over to you. It's just it's just driving the same point home over and over again. He feels alone, secluded, left out when he's the one that they can thank for even knowing there's something wrong going on in the world. So yeah. with that, I'll turn it back over to you. Which, by the way, right before I take this away here, like, how depressing is that? Like, it's like a 17-year-old boy over here looking to, like, chill on a swing set by himself in the middle of the night. Like, talk about asking for a drug deal. Keep your nose clean. Like, straight up, like, you're like, oh, is it snowing over on Magnolia Drive tonight? Is it, we got, we got a predicting a cold front, Harry? Is that what's going on? Sir, they're 15 so like, years old. Like, any cop, like, any, like, police officer would drive by and be like, okay, like, this kid does not fit in, like, in this area. Like, you're, it's just, like, weird. But this is about that point where, it's almost like supporting our points like he wants to cause trouble is what i'll say almost wants to um and he sees big d baby yeah big deadly dursley <laughs> yeah big d man so uh this is a cool part so i did like the description of magnolia road too so it says magnolia road like privet drive was full of large square houses with perfectly manicured lawns. I almost think of like keeping up with the Joneses. Like, <laughs> let's make sure this is perfect. All owned by large square owners who drove very clean cars similar to Uncle Vernon's. Harry preferred little winging by night when the curtain windows made patches of jewel bright colors in the darkness and he ran no danger of hearing disapproving mutters about his delinquent appearance when he passed the householders. He walked quickly, so the halfway along Magnolia Road, Dudley's gang came into view, and they were saying their farewells at the entrance to Magnolia Crescent. Harry stepped into the shadow of a large lilac tree and waited. Squealed like a pig, did he? Malcolm was saying to the guffaws from the others. Nice right hook, Big D, said Piers. Same time tomorrow, said Dudley. Round at my place. My parents are out said gordon see you then said dudley bye dud see you big d harry waited for the rest of the gang to move on before setting off again when their voices had faded once more he headed around the corner into magnolia crescent and by walking very quickly he soon came within a hauling distance of dudley who was strolling around as his ease humming tunelessly hey big d <laughs> dudley turned oh he grunted. It's you. How long have you been big? How long have you been big D then? Said Harry. Shut it, snarled Dudley, turning away again. Cool name, said Harry, grinning and falling into a step beside his cousin. But you'll always be Ickly Dickles, Ickle Diddyskins to me. Ickle Diddykins to me. I said shut it, said Dudley, whose ham-like hands had curled into fists. Don't the boys know that what's your mom's calls you? Shut your face. You don't tell her to shut your face. What about Popkin and Dinky Diddy Dums? Can I use them then? Dudley said nothing. The effort of keeping himself from hitting Harry seemed to be demanding all his self-control. So who've you been beating up tonight? Harry asked, his grin fading. Another ten-year-old? 
I know you did Mark Evans two nights ago. He was asking for it. Oh, yeah? He cheeked me. Yeah? <laughs> did he say you look like a pig? <laughs> that's been taught to walk on its hind legs. Because that's not cheek. Dad, that's true. <laughs> a muscle was twitching in Dudley's jaw. It gave Harry enormous satisfaction to know how furious he was making Dudley. He felt as though he was... Uh, symphoning off his own frustration into his cousin, the only outlet he had. They turned right down the narrow alleyway where Harry had first seen Sirius, which formed a shortcut between Magnolia Crescent and Wisteria Walk. It was empty, much darker than the streets it linked because there were no street lamps. Their footsteps were muffled between the garage walls on one side and the high fence on the other. Think you're a big man carrying that thing, don't you, Dudley? <laughs> Dudley said after a few seconds. What thing? That thing you're hiding. Harry, Harry grinned again. Not as stupid as you look, are you, Dud? But I suppose if you were, you wouldn't be, walk, be able to walk and talk at the same time. Harry pulled out his wand. He saw Dudley look sideways at it. You're not allowed, Dudley said at once. I know you're not. You get expelled from that freak school you go to. How do you know they haven't changed the rules, Big D? They haven't, said Dudley. Though he didn't sound completely convinced, Harry laughed softly, softly. You haven't got the guts to take me on without that thing, have you? Dudley snarled. Whereas you just need four mates behind you because you can beat up a ten-year-old. You know that boxing title you keep banging on about? How old was your opponent? Seven? Eight? He was sixteen, for your information, snarled Dudley. And he was out, <laughs> out cold for 20 minutes after I'd finished with him. And he was twice as heavy as you. You just wait till I tell Dad you had that thing out. Running to Daddy now, are you? Is this equal boxing champ frightened of nasty Harry's wand? Not brave at night, are you? This is sneered Dudley. This is night, Diddykins. That's what we call it when it goes all dark like this. I mean when you're in bed, Dudley snarled. He had stopped walking, Harry stopped too. Staring at his cousin from the little he could see of Dudley's large face, he was wearing a strangely triumphant look. What do you mean I'm not brave in bed? Said Harry, completely non-puzzled. What am I supposed to be frightened of pillows or something? I heard you last night, said Dudley breathlessly, talking in your sleep, moaning. And with that, I'll turn it over to you, man. All right, yeah, um... I'm sure that you got more on that one. I just for for this first part, I didn't really. I stuck to the big things here. So what I'll do is I'll read chapter mm-hmm. page thirteen to the end of the chapter. Yeah. But just a couple of things I wanted to point out there is just like uh, the actual title of what Dudley held at his school was the junior heavyweight inter school boxing champion of the southeast. So that's a pretty <laughs> cool title for him. It's pretty cool. Uh, yeah. And, and Harry decided initially against picking a fight with Dudley and his gang because he didn't want to risk a expulsion. And then, like you said, they had that little. Uh, interaction with each other. I also thought it was kind of cool to see Dudley and Piers Polkis. That are, they're still friends. Mm-hmm. Piers Polkis was like the guy that uh, Dudley took to the zoo when Harry <laughs> was in Sorcerer's Stone. So it's cool that uh, J.K. Rowling kept the, um, the, the the side characters involved throughout the storyline. So mm-hmm. I thought that was pretty cool, man. Um, you know, then to start on page thirteen, just because this is super important. This is going to be the big climax of the first chapter. This, this is where the it starts to pick up a little bit, right? So, let's see here. They turned right down the alleyway where Harry had first seen Sirius, which formed a shortcut between Magnolia Crescent and Wisteria Walk. 
It was empty and much darker than the streets. It linked. There was no street lamps. Their footsteps were muffled between garage walls. And, oh, wait, no, you already said that one. You, you got all the way to the part when you're in bed, right? Okay, yeah, well, am I supposed to be fighting the pillows or something? Uh, I heard you moan. Okay, got it. The so real like, nasty part. Like, yeah, this is the nasty part. So yeah. Dudley, Dudley gave a harsh bark of laughter, then adopted a high-pitched, whimpering voice. Don't kill Cedric. Don't kill Cedric. Who's Cedric, your boyfriend? <laughs> I, you're lying, said Harry automatically, but his mouth had gone dry. He knew Dudley wasn't lying. How else would he know who about Cedric? Dad! Help me! Dad, he's going to kill me! Dad, boo-hoo! Shut up, said Harry quietly. Shut up, Dudley, I'm warning you. Come and help me, Dad! Mom, come and help me! He's killed Cedric! Dad, help me! He's going, don't you point that thing at me! <laughs> Dudley had backed up into the alley wall. Harry was pointing his wand directly at Dudley's heart, and Harry could feel 14 years of hatred pounding in his veins. What he wouldn't give to strike now to jinx Dudley so thoroughly that he had to crawl home like an insect. Struck dumb, sprouting feelers. Don't ever talk about that again, Harry snarled. Do you understand me? Point that thing somewhere else. I said, do you understand me? Point it somewhere else. Do you understand me? Get that thing away from... And then Dudley gave an odd, shuddering gasp, as though he'd been doused in icy water. Something had happened to the night. The star-strown indigo sky was suddenly pitch black and lightless. The stars, the moon, and misty street lamps at either end of the alley had vanished. The distant grumbles of cars and whisper of trees had gone. The balmy evening was suddenly, piercingly, bitingly cold. And they were surrounded by total, impenetrable, silent darkness, as though some giant hand had dropped a thick, icy mantle over the entire alleyway, blinding them. And for a split second, Harry thought he had done magic without meaning to, despite the fact that he'd been resisting as hard as he could. Then reason had caught up with his senses. He didn't have the power to turn off the stars. He turned his head this way and that way, trying to see something. But the darkness pressed on his eyes like a whiteless veil. Dudley's terrified voice broke in Harry's ear. What are you doing? Stop it. I'm not doing anything. Shut up and don't move. I can't see. I've gone blind. I said shut up. Harry stood stock still, turning his sightless eyes left and right. The cold was so intense that he was shivering all over. Goosebumps had erupted on his arms and the hairs on the back of his neck were standing up. He opened his eyes to their full extent, staring blankly around, unseeing. It was impossible. They couldn't be here, not in little winging. He strained his ears. He would hear them before he saw them. I'll tell Dad, Dudley Mumford. Where are you? What do you do? Will you shut up? I'm trying to listen. But he fell silent. He had just heard the thing that he had been dreading. There was something in the alleyway apart from themselves, something that was drawing long, hoarse, rattling breaths. Harry felt a horrible jolt of dread as he stood trembling in the freezing air. Cut it out. Stop doing it. I'll hit you. I swear I will. Dudley, shut. Wham! A fist made contact with the side of Harry's head, lifting Harry off his feet. Small white lights popped up in front of Harry's eyes for the second time in an hour. He felt as though his head had been cleaved in two. The next moment he landed hard on the ground as one had flown out of his hand. You moron, Dudley, Harry yelled as his eyes watered with pain, scrambling to his hands and knees, now feeling on frantically in the blackness. He heard Dudley blundering away, hitting the uh, alleyway fence, stumbling. Dudley, come back! You're running right at it! And there was a horrible squealing yell, and Dudley's footsteps stopped. At the same moment, Harry felt a creeping chill behind him, which could only mean one thing. There was more than one. Dudley, keep your mouth shut. Whatever you do, keep your mouth shut. Wand! Harry muttered frankly to himself, his hands flying on the ground like spiders. Where's the wand? Come on! Lumos! He said the spell automatically, desperate for light to help him in his search, and to his disbelieving relief, Light flared inches from his right hand, his wand tip had ignited, 
and Harry snatched it up, scrambling to his feet, and turned around, and his stomach turned over. This is kind of cool right there, because, like, Harry just used a spell without holding his wand for the first time. Like, one that, like, stuck. Not like, you know, in Sorcerer's Stone with the boa constrictor and the glass, like, going away. He didn't mean to do that. He wanted to get light. He said the spell, and the, the wand lit up on his own without it even being in his grasp. So I thought that was kind of cool. Interesting that he was able to do that. I don't know if that was a plot hole, because we do know some people can do silent spells, so maybe some people can do spells without the wand in their hand, you know? Who knows? But with that, bro, I'll let you go ahead and finish us off from that point to the rest of the chapter, because you're the big Order of the Phoenix guy, and you have the Dementors. <laughs> so uh, just to... So we're right now on page 17, and that's going. To, you're going to be looking at the second to last paragraph, where he said he said the spell automatically desperate for light. Perfect. So that's going to be the second to last paragraph on page 17. Whenever you're ready. Man, I feel uh, feel honored. That's uh, man, I've I've never uh, you know, trying to trying to, I've never taken the coaching spot before. That's a new <laughs> one for me. But yeah, I got it right here for you. So. He said the spell automatically, desperate for light to help him in his search. And to his disbelieving relief, light flared inches from his right hand, and a wand tip had ignited. Harry snatched it up, scrambled to his feet, and turned over. His stomach turned over. A towering hooded figure was gliding smoothly toward him, hovering over the ground, no feet or face visible beneath its robes, sucking on the night as it came. Stumbling backward, Harry raised his wand. Expectro Patronum! A silvery wisp of vapor shot from the tip of the wand, and the Dementor slowed, but the spell hadn't worked properly. Tripping over his feet, Harry retreated farther as the Dementor bore down upon him. Panic fogging his brain, concentrate. A pair of gray, slimy, scabbed hands slid from inside the Dementor's robes, reaching for him. A rushing noise filled Harry's ears. Spectro Patronum! His voice sounded dim and distant. Another wisp of silver smoke, feebler than the last, drifted from the wand. He couldn't do it anymore. He couldn't work the spell. There was laughter inside his own head, shrill, high-pitched laughter. His, he, cold, he could smell the Dementor's putrid, death-cold breath, filling his own lungs, drowning him. Think something happy. But there was no happiness in him. The Dementor's icy fingers were closing on his throat. The high-pitched laughter was growing louder and louder, and a voice spoke inside his head. Bow to death, Harry. It might even be painless. I would know. I have never died. He was never going to see Ron and Hermione again. And their faces burst clearly into his mind as he fought for breath. Expectro! Patronum! An enormous silver stag erupted from the tip of Harry's wand. Its antlers caught the Dementor in the place where the heart should have been. It was thrown backward, weightless as darkness into stag charged. The Dementor swooped away, bat-like and defeated. This way! Harry shouted at the stag. Wheeling around, he sprinted down the alleyway, holding the lift, uh, lift wand aloft. Dudley! Dudley! He had run barely a dozen steps when he reached out to them. Dudley was curled on the ground. His arms clamped over his face. A second Dementor was crouching low over him, gripping his wrist in its slimy hands, prizing them slowly, almost loving apart, lowering its hooded head towards Dudley's face 
as though he was about to kiss him. Get it! Harry bellowed, and with a rushing Roy sound, the silver stag he had conjured came galloping back past him. The Dementor's eyes face was barely an inch from Dudley's when the silver antlers caught it. The thing was thrown up into the air, and like its fellow, it soared away and was absorbed into the darkness. The stag centered to the end of the alleyway and dissolved into the silver mist. Moon, stars, and street lamps burst back into life. A warm breeze swept the alleyway, trees rustled in the neighboring gardens, and the mundane rumble of cars in Magnolia Crescent filled the air again. Harry stood quite still, all his senses vibrating, taking in the abrupt return to normality. After a moment, he became aware that his t-shirt was sticking to him. He was drenched in sweat. He could not believe what just happened. Dementors here? And little winging? Dudley lay curled up on the ground, whimpering and shaking. Harry bent down to see whether he was in a fit state to stand up, but then heard loud running footsteps behind him, instinctively raising his wand again. He spun on his heel to face the newcomer. Miss Fig, their batty old neighbor, came panting into sight. Her grisly gray hair was escaping from its hairnet. A clanking string shopping bag was swinging from her wrist, and her feet were halfway out of her tartan carpet slippers. Harry made to stow his wand hurriedly out of sight. But don't put it away, idiot boy, she shrieked. What if there are more of those around? Oh, I'm going to kill Madungus Fletcher. Turn it back over to you, man. Heck yeah, that, that closes out the first chapter. And so this is crazy because now we know Mrs. Fig, remember even from the beginning, like her, her house would always smell like cats and like he would hate going over there. Like this someone, this lady knows what Dementors are. Like, she knows, like, this Mrs. Fig, how is this possible? You know, and this is what we were talking about before, kind of coming a full circle. Harry's never really been alone at Privet Drive as much as he's felt that he was. So, uh, the next thing that I have, you know, going into the next chapter, which is A Peck of Owls, um, we, we find out in, right there on page 20 that Mrs. Fig is actually a squib. So, you guys remember, uh, Argus Filch is a squib at Hogwarts. Basically means, like, they born of magical blood, but can't really do magic. So she even says herself, "I, I, I can't do so much as transfigure a teapot or a, a, a tea bag." That's what I meant. Like, so she's just not very useful. But the thing is, is that she's part of the magical community, and now he feels like at least like his connection to something. He's like, "Oh, like great!" And like she even tells him, like, you know, Dumbledore is going to have to be told about this. Um, but so I'm going to go ahead and read this because this is also a. Uh, a foreshadow as well on page 21 the second to last paragraph so go for it keep your wand out she told harry as they entered wisteria walk never mind the statute of secrecy now there's going to be hell to pay anyways we might as well be hanged for, for a dragon as an egg talk about the reasonable restriction of underage sorcery this was exactly what dumbledore was afraid of so this is a problem because the, like we like the, when i say it's a foreshadow we don't know what's coming unless you've read the book then you will but like he just did magic like in the presence of a muggle while he's underage. Big no-no. Dumbledore even says the exact words. We were to keep you from doing magic at all costs. That's what she said Dumbledore had told her. And we're going to find out why that's such a big deal here shortly. The last thing I have before I turn it over to you is that um, <laughs> this is Mundungus Fletcher. He returns. He catches Mrs. Fig's wrath. Like, she even beats him with, like, the cat food in her purse, in her bag. 
and he disapparates to tell Dumbledore about what happened. So we figured out the full circle moment here. The, the initial loud crack that Harry had heard outside the window of the Dursleys was Mundungus Fletcher disapparating because he wanted to go get uh, cauldrons that fell off the back of a broom. So he's doing his own like thievery stuff. And because of that, all this happened. Like I ne We never really find out if Mundungus Fletcher is a good wizard in terms of could he have helped Harry fend off the Dementors. Either way, like... It's still been nice to have some sort of backup instead of leaving these, like, death machines to a 15-year-old boy and then having to carry his own cousin back home. But anyways, that's where I'll leave it at, and I'll get it to you, brother. First thing about McDungus Fletcher, like, I sort of... I feel bad for him, but I don't. Because here's the issue is... What we'll talk about later, like, the part where he really messed up, like... You still knew you were signing on to that role. That's where I don't have sympathy for you. However, at the same time, I know there's been times in my life, like I've gotten slack at my job or slack at school or something like that. And it's so easy to like let your mind off the trigger for just a moment. And that's always when something happens. Like that's always when some, some like gets you. So I feel bad for him, but at the same time, I don't. Because I feel like he should have been, if you know what you're signing on for, like he should have been like 24/7 on his A game. What do you What do you think about that? My thought is is that I don't have any sympathy for him at all because <laughs> of what he cho what he chooses to make of his life. He's literally a professional criminal. That's what Mendungus Fletcher chooses to that. do. Yeah. Like that's like you know the whole reason we find out later on, like you know when Dumbledore tells Sirius Black back in Goblet of Fire to like go get Mundungus Fletcher, Arabella Fig, and all that. It's because he hear like, we, and Sirius says it later on in this book, like, Mundungus hears things as he's part of the criminal network. People are comfortable saying things around him because they know he's not going to turn them into anybody. So, like, it's good to have a criminal in your back pocket because you're, he, they're going to hear things before you do through the street, right? So, like, right. he has his uses, but, like, I don't feel bad for him at all. Like, he's he, cho he chose what to make of his life and, like, you know... This this was your time to you know not really atone for anything, but you had a job, and I'm sure like he's getting paid for it in some sort of way, and you just decided nope I'm gonna go find a good business investment real quick. Those cauldrons <laughs> they fell right off the back of the broom. I'm gonna sell them for double what I'm gonna steal them for, and I'm gonna live a good day. So like no, I I don't feel bad for him at all. He's just a petty criminal that. Uh, his own greed caught up with him, and now he's in trouble. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you raised a... I gotta agree with you 100% on that. I can't feel bad for him at all now, now that you bring up that point. But I think it's that time, man. I wanna Is it? always want to play Duel of Fates when it's this time of the show. <laughs> I summon the great debate card, baby! Yeah. It's been a minute since we played this bad boy. That's it's right. about time. Ready for Hell this? yeah. Get a malice before we get Cheers. this one. This is going to be a good one, man. This is going to be a good one. And this one has two parts. The first part is going to seem like really easier than the first. The second part is going to actually make you think. Uh, so... I hope we can come up with some disagreements, too, because you might kind of see my same way on this. So, here's the debate, and hear the whole part out. Do you think Albus Dumbledore, based on what he said in Goblet of Fire, which I know you're already predicting where this is going, but actually it's a lot more detailed than that, had Harry stay with the Dursleys 
not because of all the plan where you can watch him that was definitely could help but to actually save dudley the other part is do you think uncle vernon and aunt petunia knew that miss fig was a squib the entire time and i'll let so, you get started man i can answer the second part of that pretty quickly because there's actual evidence in the book here where she's like like, like petunia and, and uncle vernon didn't know that mrs fig was a squib because of the fact where she says like they would have never let you come over if they had known you were having fun like like, like who i was like they would have never let you come over here so I don't, I don't think that they would know that she was a squib or had anything to do with the magical community because they hate them. And like they would drop, they, they asked Mrs. Fig to watch him when they went away to go do stuff. Like they're asking her to do favors. They wouldn't do that if they knew who she was. Because like, that'd, that'd mean that they're mixed up with that sort of people and they hate that. They refuse to be mixed up with that sort of people. But the first part, uh, no, we, we know the whole reason that because actually it goes back to something Lord Voldemort actually said in the Goblet of Fire about how he, not even he can touch Harry when Harry is at his aunt and uncle's house. So that's what I think Dumbledore sends Harry back to. I don't think he sends him because he predicts that Dudley's going to be in trouble and Harry needs to save him. I think it's that he, there's a protection there that we know a little bit about now because what Voldemort said, I can't even touch him there. Dumbledore is obviously aware of it, and so that's why he keeps Harry there. Now that Voldemort's back and no one knows his next move, Dumbledore's like, the safest place for Harry is with his aunt and uncle because Voldemort can't get to him there. That's my thoughts on it. I'm curious to hear what you think. So, and I could I could see that side. Don't get me wrong. Like I think that's a really good point to make. Just for the sake of argument, I'm actually going to debate the other side okay. and then see if maybe you can kind of see this my way. So... As far as, let's go into Aunt Petunia and Uncle Vernon, right? When they said, if you weren't having any fun over there. So, like, which was the whole idea. Like, they wanted him to have no fun. Which is why they were always, like, you know, looking at cat pictures and all this crap. Like, they wanted to make sure he was pretty much miserable. So, I would say, like, the only reason they... I would say they probably knew she was a squib based on because Aunt Petunia actually has made comments regarding Lily before and like things that have happened in this actual book that we'll get into in a bit that she let slip at sometimes um, as far as like the the magical community here um, I would say like they knew she probably was a squib they just let him go over there because they knew she wasn't going to be any fun anyways. Like, she couldn't do any magic at all. Like, how boring is she? Like, I hate to say it that way, but, like, all she has is her cats. Well, all she has is the photos. Like, she never took time to really care about Harry at all. Like, he was basically just a piece of furniture. Like, honestly, like, that's really what he was over there. He's a piece of furniture. Why well, Dudley got to go have fun all day and buy 30 birthday gifts. 31, actually, because he got pissed about 30. Go to the movies. Go to the museums. And he was sitting over there looking at cats. How many damn cats can you listen to? How many cats can you look at? They don't even have breeds, technically, and I love cats. Actually, girlfriend has a cat. I love them. I wish I could have a black cat, but I'm allergic, unfortunately, and I would be allergic to that house, and I wouldn't want to be there, which is why they wanted him over there, because they love the fact that he's miserable. But I would say that they actually did because... I think Aunt Petunia has a lot of stuff that she's... I think she's got a lot of secrets that she's not giving off. 
by by the fact of that she leaks a lot of information in here that she's known like for instance the whole idea of like voldemort <laughs> like i didn't want to go into that yet but like how would she even really know what i feel like if you knew about that then you got to know something about your next door neighbor like if they're that close like i just feel like that brings it i don't have any facts to back that up and that's the hard part that's where i could say i could definitely see your point on that and agree with you but at the same time i feel like they're over there they basically knew miss fig i would say they knew miss fig <laughs> more than they really knew anyone else in the magical community much more than they knew dumbledore and mcgonagall they didn't even want to talk to him at all even going back to sorcerer stone you know uh uncle vernon right would go see all the hooded people over at his work and be like oh those are those magical freaks <laughs> like keep them out of here at least the squib like they probably went up to Aunt Petunia and uncle vernon and she i'm not saying she didn't know what's going on like she knew she was working for dumbledore but she was probably like selling the whole thing like how uncle vernon's a salesman is like oh yeah i hate these magical people i can't even do magic myself i was burned into one of those horrible communities and i'm just trying to get it out of my life i can't do anything with it you know my parents were terrible but you can't help the life you're born into like i should have gone to you know the brutus school for messed up children and that's the way she was probably selling it as far as albus dumbledore Here's why I think there's something more that goes into this. Because I get what you're saying 100% that that was the safest place Harry probably could have gone. Like, I understand uh, that 100%. Going all the way back to Sorcerer's Stone. However, who's to say he wouldn't have been safe in the borough where you had Arthur Weasley that works for the ministry that could have looked out for him. You had Molly Weasley uh that you know she's been around for a super long time she's a part of the order well we'll get into that later we don't want to reveal spoilers but uh and then you also not to mention you got ron and hermione as two best friends over there hanging out all summer and then at the other part right uh even if he went somewhere else like Sirius has been offering his place the entire time like literally the guy that's his second dad like i would argue Sirius is harry's second father and like why would you not want him to go there where literally we know which dumbledore has supported sirius the whole time which is why he's kind of flown under the radar because we know the ministry is after his tail literally his tail <laughs> being a dog um <laughs> like why would you not think that being the things that harry has gone through fought the number one most powerful wizard of all time at age 16 and you got 14 a guy you got the ages all wrong man guy. It's like four, it, he was 14 he's he was 14 in goblet he's 15 now you okay, gotta get you're right. just just yeah, think 14, just think numbers sorry, of the book I'm just think the numbers of the book fourth book he's 14 fifth book he's 15 six he's 16 seventh he's 17 just think I, of the numbers there yeah you you went on that one i was making a point he's a child <laughs> he's a child right <laughs> he's a child but he's got serious that literally is an anime guy like that guy can't uh, can't help him more than the Dursleys can that are literally muggles, right? So I think there was more that even went into it. I think what happened was, what if Dudley was there by himself, or it wasn't with his even group, right? And they thought, which this is just my theory, we won't go into spoilers or anything, because there's facts I can back up later with this, but we don't want to go into spoilers. Those Dementors were there for a reason, and they could have very well thought Harry was there when he wasn't. What if Dudley was attacked by himself? I think Albus Dumbledore 
knew that what was going to go down is about to go down and Harry was going to have to defend himself and he was going to be able to do it. But at the same time, in the words of Albus Dumbledore, one of his most famous quotes, you can save more than one life tonight. So even if they don't like Dudley at all, I never said he was a nice guy by any means, but you're literally talking about saving a life. And I think he was based on this actually goes into your point. I got to give you 100 percent here because I stand corrected back from where I said Prisoner of Azkaban. That's one of my one of my favorite books. Not so much a movie, but one of my favorite books. I stand corrected here where, you know, Lupin, he was training with my guy or, you know, he was in that Quidditch match. And I got to say, you know, it's a pretty impressive Spectro Patronum <laughs> you would put there. And that's pretty dang impressive. So my thought is I think Albus knew the only kid that could have stood up to Dementors himself that would give a legitimate reason for why, like, to protect this guy. Like, he's not going to go send some old wizard to hang out with Dudley. Like, Dudley would get freaked out. Like, you want to get in the van and get candy? Is that what you're wanting, Dudley? The big heavyweight champions trying to get in the van and say, oh, give me your candies. Most definitely not. So he sends Harry there, puts Harry with him, gets him through this whole situation, which we know later on, you know, Albus isn't going to just let Harry fall on himself here. So I just feel like, in the words of Albus Dumbledore, you know, you can always save more than, you can save more than one life tonight if you're smart about it. So that's my argument that way, but I can very well see it your way. You made some really good facts and points. I just feel like there could have been more, I don't have any proof on this, of course, but I feel like there could have been more that went into it that we just don't know about. Let me respond to those because I think some of the things I'll say might might change your mind just a bit. And the reason I say that is because Dumbledore's own words were like to Mrs. Fig, we have to stop Harry from doing magic at all costs. So how are you going to save Dudley if you can't use magic? Like if his whole whole point of this was to make sure Harry didn't use magic outside of school, how could have that been like Dumbledore's plan for him to save Dudley without magic? You know what I mean? Like I, I see what how you're could, saying. How could there. I how I mean, could I repel a Dementors without my wand and using magic? You <laughs> like yeah, you might have just like hit that special move spirit bomb that knocked me <laughs> out of that because i can't really defend that uh the only like defending side to that would say like what if it was just like you know saying it in general for all the years she's watched over here like make sure he doesn't do any magic even like make sure he stays on him you know what if you know keep in mind harry's only 17 or so, sorry what 15, 15 now 15, 15 right he's only 15 now so that doesn't mean that Madungus could have gotten off his tail rear end. He could have done something, but he decided not to watch his shift. Like if you're if you're literally have that spot for Albus Dumbledore, I would have to believe that you're able to like don't get me wrong, like dementors aren't easy to fight off by all means. They're probably one of the most powerful magical creatures. But if you're doing that job for Dumbledore, I would like to think you could at least repel a dementor, probably. He just decided not to do his job. So, but to your point, I do see what you're saying. But at the same time, I just feel like, so no one cares about Dudley, I guess. Like, no right, one would really cared if he died, I guess. When we get into later this later chapter here, like chapter eight itself, like, this is that the reason that they wanted to avoid that whole issue. They didn't want Harry to have to go through you know, what he ends up having to, like, there's the last chapter of this episode that we'll do. You know what I mean? Like, 
like, I guess we can kind of talk about it because it's not terribly foreshadowed, but the hearing that he has to do, yeah. that was the whole point of it making him not do magic. Like, because now, like, it was like, it, it almost seemed like a trap from the ministry to catch Harry doing something wrong because they've been spending, spending all summer trying to discredit him. So it's like, that's why Dumbledore didn't want him to do magic. And so, that because they, they wanted to avoid that whole scenario. So I just, I don't see how it could have been like, he would have known Dementors themselves would have gone. I think Dumbledore thought someone was going to try something to provoke Harry into doing magic, but I don't think he knew what it was. It could have not been not Dementors. It could have been anything. Like It just happened to be that's what it was. I think he had in his mind that he foresaw, like, hey, mm-hmm. someone's going to try to get Harry to do magic illegally. Then he's going to be taken to the ministry, and that's going to be some problems. So, guys, make sure no matter what happens, Harry doesn't do magic. And then Mundungus does his stupid thing, and then he gets stuck doing it. So... Long and short of that is like I don't I don't think that the Dementors and Dudley had any sort of like weight of thought on Dumbledore's mind at all. I think it was strictly like, hey, we gotta keep Harry out of trouble this summer because <laughs> like they're gonna they're gonna crucify. Him. That's why she even says like, what did she, her exact words were gonna be uh, hanged for a dragon as an egg? Like because they know they're gonna overblow it because of how they view yeah. him. It's like they they they're screwing him over, but. To the other point too about Mrs. Fig and like, do I if I thought Aunt Petunia and uh, Uncle Vernon knew about it, I still don't think so. Only for the simple fact that like she says, I, I got a quote on page twenty-two, like the second paragraph says, "I'm sorry I gave you such a miserable time, but the Dursleys would have never let you come. They thought you enjoyed it. It's like they wouldn't have let him go. So like if they knew who she was, I just don't. I don't see like that. I, like, I know that she Aunt Petunia's got secrets, and we get to learn a little bit more about them as the series goes on. And even just here in this next chapter, you know, towards the end of it, she receives a very interesting letter herself. Right. I just don't think they knew who she was specifically. Um, that, that's my own opinion. Again, I don't have any facts on that. I just it just wouldn't make sense of the storyline of there. They, like J.K. Rowling from. Sorcerer's Stone, through where we are at today, has built up the Dursley's characters as they can't stand magic. They hate magic. We learned right. about yeah. Petunia, why she doesn't like it, and it's because you know there's a form of jealousy there on her end that we learn about later. Not really a big spoiler, but giving something away. But like Uncle Vernon, there's no set, like there's never been a sign that Uncle Vernon is appreciated or wanted anything to do with magic. Period. He wanted everything to be normal. So like, I don't think he would have stood for it if he knew who Arabella Fig was. But that's my only things I would say to that. But and then I'll see what you'd say, and then we'll go from there. Oh yeah, no, I was I I, I mean you pretty much hit the nail on the head. Actually, like I'm inclined to agree with you. I just wanted to make one statement and just ask you a couple two last questions that just actually kind of even support your point um just you made me think of that and then this is going to go to the shadow realm but uh so one that's very depressing like if uh i I am inclined to agree with you because i get it i would just think like if i was headmaster of hogwarts and i knew like we were saying it's a trap like we don't want to give any spoilers away but I feel like, like you said, Dumbledore knew something was coming. Like, I think you're right. Like, no Dementor. We don't know if it's a Dementor or what. But something was coming. Otherwise, they wouldn't have been watching him. Like, there would have been no reason to. He could have stayed in that cupboard all summer for all we <laughs> really cared, right? I just feel like Dumbledore would have been smart enough to at least make sure... If, if First of all, the whole idea is to keep magic away from muggles because you you know it's a it's you know magical law <laughs> like i mean you got to keep it away 
Like, I just feel like... Honestly, like, if, if Dumbledore is that smart as being headmaster, which I feel like he doesn't show it a lot, but he really is one step ahead of everybody. People just don't think about it. Because, like, especially Harry, like, he kind of, honestly, he really reminds me of myself a lot when I was a kid. Like, I gotta admit this, like, it is really true. Like, when you're a kid and you just get pissed off at stupid things, which I did. I used to have, like, kind of a short temper when I was a kid. Like, I would take karate classes, and I still remember like my uh one of my instructors would be like you get your power from anger all the time like if you just stop being angry <laughs> like i feel almost like how here he is but like if you just like almost like mellow out like how dumbledore is and think things through like you really find out later dumbledore is always one step ahead of the game you just think he's not because he's taking a backseat role it's not always about being front and center all the time when you're really in control almost like a coach you know you don't see the coach on the field you don't see the coach ever make a, a ever play one down, but at the same time, we know the guy that's controlling it all, playing chess. Um, so my point is, I just feel like it's very sad if we just don't care if Dudley dies. I mean, Dudley's never been a good guy, but if there was a way to save him through all this, my mind would have been like, well, what if I put this guy I know that's fought the most powerful wizard of all time, and I know I can help get him out of these situations. Yeah, something might happen where he might lose school or something, but if you can save a life, that's a good way to do it. The other part is, I do, I can, I'm inclined to agree with you with Uncle Vernon and Aunt Petunia as well. Um, just, it, it's just kind of like, I mean, like, how lackluster on their roles. Like, really, what was she even... If she was really following him the whole time that closely, and she was that good of a squib, like, I would almost feel like a squib uh, should almost be like that 007 kind of person, right? Like, almost like a spy. Like, you, you're not necessarily the strongest person, so you shouldn't be on the front lines just showing your stuff. But at the same time, you can be stealthy and do things... And, like, I literally the most, like, literally could have ended everything. If one thing went wrong and he couldn't get that spell off, <laughs> like, not only is magic and all this done, done through muggles on top of that, so, like, all these people are exposed, but also, like, the guy you've tried to, like, let live this entire time is just dead. Like, I feel like someone really dropped the ball on this. Like, that's, they that's did. the problem. They did. It was Mundungus Fletcher. He was the other yeah. wizard that was supposed to be there to like make sure that he could help because they know that she's a squib. Because think about it. Cabs. Who's the only other? <laughs> who's the only other squib that we've ever heard about? Argus Filch. When has he shown any ability to do anything except be like useless? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like so, squibs just don't really. They generally speaking, they haven't really been much use to anybody. <laughs> So I, I, I'd say, like, yeah, someone was supposed to be there to back up. It was Mundungus Fletcher, and he screwed the pooch, so to speak, yeah. you know? Then the, to the one you, more th I think you made some really yeah. good points, so I agree with you on that. I, I, can, I can buy – I think I, you really backed your opinion with really good, solid facts that I knew in the back of my head. Like, I just hate how people can be so stupid. Like, literally, like, this is all riding on Mundungus Fletcher and his – thievery ability because he wants to go make money off craigslist like that's basically what he's yeah doing. pretty much yeah like it's, <laughs> magical all, craigslist baby <laughs> like you run in a, a, a secret society and you put this guy in charge 
Like, come on, dude. Like, you're the headmaster, and, like, you didn't have enough interviews to realize, like, this guy has a criminal background, and you're going to put him in that position? Well, he wanted he wanted him he wanted him for the criminal background. The thing yeah. is, it's like, because he, he can blend in. Like, no one ever takes notice of him because, you know, he doesn't stand out. He's, like, a criminal. Mm-hmm. He's good at blending in. But to the, there's another point I wanted to bring him, up, too. Yeah. Yeah. No, there's a, the only thing I think, uh, two other things I wanted to point out as well, just so I make sure I address them, because I remembered I didn't answer the one question that you had. You had said, you know, why didn't Harry, why wasn't Harry taken to the borough where, you know, they had mm-hmm. some wizards there that could help protect him, or why wasn't he get, like, given to Sirius, who, you know, was a pretty talented wizard himself? Well, if you remember, it's not that the Dursleys themselves can protect him, it's the fact that, like, this, this is, I, this is a big foreshadow, this, mm-hmm. I don't want to spoil it for mm-hmm. anybody, but we learn about the protection that blood relatives gives. It's not a, it, it's a legit unseen protection that Voldemort cannot. Like Voldemort could show up to the borough and screw everybody's day up and with his Death Eaters and take out everybody if he wanted to. He could show up to wherever like the series, like the thing is like he literally, like if he was looking at the Dursley's living room, he wouldn't be able to see in the window who's there. Like, like they, he's protected there from old ancient magic. So it's like, it's they, they he even says it too. Like remember, I don't know if it was in Azkaban or in Goblet of Fire. Someone had mentioned that like while Harry is at home, no one can touch him because he could show up right at the front of the, the number four Privet Drive, look in, and he wouldn't see anything. He can't he can't touch him there. So it's like a it's like an ancient magic. It's got nothing to do with the Dursleys themselves protecting it. It's that's blood true. relatives to his his mom and dad who died for his life made. to be saved. And then so that's that one. That was an amazing. And then the other point you made. And then just the last one, and then I guess we'll, we'll move on from it. Is just when like when you're talking about like for the Dudley thing, it's like you're you're putting a lot on Dumbledore's plate to like be able to exactly predict what kind of trap they're gonna lay. You know, like you got to assume like like is like is it really gonna be life threatening? Like Dumbledore just assumes they're gonna provoke him into using magic, which will get him in trouble. Like he doesn't know the extent they're gonna go. You know, there's no way anyone could foresee that. Like <laughs> so, like it would yeah, be really crazy if crappy. if Dumbledore would be able. To, yeah, if he would be able to predict that Dudley would be in mortal danger, I don't even think he could predict that. You know what I mean? I don't think, you know, he's like he's like someone's gonna put this guy in a position where he's got to use magic. We got to stop that from happening if we can. And then the Ministry or whoever it was who sent the Dementors, they took it a step further than I think even Dumbledore assumed that they would. Like that, like I don't think he ever assumed that like, hey, he's gonna be in mortal danger. Like, hey, let's just keep an eye on things, make sure it's good, make sure he doesn't use magic, and then. They took it up a level when they they sent the Dementors, but that's that's all I have to say. There. Um, and then we'll we'll close it out. This just I just wanted to ask this question because it piggybacks off what you said because you just made me think of this because this is actually an interesting question. Um, well, I guess two questions. Like my first question as part of that that I said before that wasn't really answered, which I, I don't think it really matters. Like if Dudley died, like do you think anyone would care? And the other part is that you really made me think of that. This is a very interesting question to think about. Do you think the Dursleys ever could have been secret keepers? Not that they were, but do you think anyone would have trusted them with it? Because think about it this way. That would be the perfect secret keeper. Because someone that almost thinks, like, like wants to stay away from magic. So all these people think, like, they obviously, like, think, like, magic. They don't want to be any a part of it. Like, that's the first person I'm going to think, like, has nothing to do with it. Imagine if, like, Uncle Vernon, not even Aunt Petunia, was, like, a secret keeper the whole time. Like, do you know how genius that would have been? Like, that's, like, and just, like, feeding off of your point, 
Because most people think staying with the Dursleys, not just like, you know, that like he's protected by the muggle world, like you don't want to do magic there. But that was genius what you were saying as far as like that love that binds. I can think of someone that we won't talk about for a long time that almost seems like an enemy kind of character and really cares more for Harry uh, than most people in this entire series based on what goes on. So you could actually make the argument like that would have been a genius move. Not that that was their move at all by any means, but if J.K. Rowling made a move by that, where like uncle vernon was like a secret keeper the whole time and you just thought he hated harry's guts but really he was like protecting him i would have been like blown away i would have been like that is a really cool like plot turner that would actually wind up making sense what do you think about that so you're on the right track it just wouldn't make sense for harry it would make Mm -hmm. sense if it was for harry's parents because they, they don't need anyone to be a secret keeper right now. The, the, the magic right. that runs in the blood of uh, Harry's parents' relatives, that's what keeps him safe, is the, is the blood. Like, so that would have made that, that's a really crazy thought if, like, for Harry's parents if like, they would have done that. Yeah. That would have been cool. It's just not necessary for Harry because the protection's already there without them needing to be it. There doesn't need to be a secret keeper. It's, yeah. it's, the, it's the protection of the love and the blood relatives of his parents, right? So. Uh-huh. But that would have been interesting if uh, if they had used. I don't even know if Muggles could be a secret keeper. Uh, if that's something that's able to be done in the magical world. And if it is, that would have been really cool to see. Like you know, them choose Uncle Vernon to be like yeah, James, like, James not, Potter. Like, they don't have any powers, so like you're automatically like writing them off. Not that like you're you're right 100 percent as far as like it wouldn't make sense with the timeline, but. Just it would have been a really cool flip on like these characters versus they were just like there the whole time just to make, you know, the protection thing that a lot of people don't think about. But really like, you know, as first plot wise in the book, just to make Harry's life miserable, (laughs) like that would be cool, like a like a flip on the script almost like almost like uh, I'm not a cursed child fan at all. I think they should throw that book out. But, like, Harry's son, like, Uncle Vernon would be a good secret keeper for him, I guess. Yeah. So, it, it just, it would be interesting to see. Because, like, the thing is, if we think about secret keepers, because, like you said, the, the timeline is weird. Because then if Uncle Vernon was a secret keeper for James Potter, they don't die. And then the whole yeah. story is different because Harry's parents are still alive. And yeah. then we don't even have what we have. But, With that, yeah, I'll I mean, throw that, it I, the shadow yeah. realm, man. <laughs> That'll leave the people thinking. We haven't done one of those in a while. So, yeah, that was I a thought good it one. was good. So, yeah, I like the it. Shadow Realm. I'll let you take her in there. I know that one went a little long, but we haven't done one of those in a while, and we like to keep it controversy on this show. For sure, man. No, that, that was that was cool. I never even thought about using a Muggle for a Secret Keeper in any sort of fashion before, so that was an interesting thought that uh, you had me like wondering how that would have worked. <laughs> so that was pretty cool. cool. Um, let's see. Where we, we left off with... Uh, okay, so now Harry gets Dudley home. All right, so now we, we, we're at the point where like Harry gets Dudley home, and Aunt Petunia and Uncle Vernon kind of like lose their minds. Like I won't, and it's not necessary to read the whole thing. Long story short on this big part here is that they just realized that their son was attacked by something from Harry's world. Right. And this is going to kind of like really kind of turn everything upside down for Uncle Vernon and Aunt Petunia because they've got decisions that they've got to make. So the first thing I'll read here is actually the letter from uh, the ministry. It says, Dear Mr. Potter, 
We received intelligence that you performed the Patronus charm at 23 minutes past 9 this evening in a muggle-inhabited area and in the presence of a muggle. The severity of this breach of the decree for the reasonable restriction of underage sorcery has resulted in your expulsion from Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. Ministry representatives will be calling at your place of residence shortly to destroy your wand. As you have already received an official warning for a previous offense under Section 13 of the International Confederation of Wizards Statute of Secrecy, we regret to inform you that your presence is required at a disciplinary hearing at the Ministry of Magic at 9 a.m. on August 12th. Hoping you are well, yours sincerely, Mafalda Hopkirk, Improper Use of Magic Office. So, now this is what we were talking This is what Dumbledore wanted to avoid. Now they've got a reason to go after Harry, the ministry. Not only have they been discrediting him through the paper, calling him a liar and stuff, but now they're like, aha, we got him for something, guys. We <laughs> got, got him. him. <laughs> so that's with that, man, I'll turn it over to you. Yeah, man. Uh, I mean, I was going to let you kind of run with it because you were, you were crushing it. Um, as oh, okay. As from, yeah, because I'll, I'll, yeah, I, I took a lot I'll, of time I'll take a couple debate, things. So I'll let you kind of run with it from there for a while. Sure, man. Yeah. So for and then page twenty-eight to kind of continue where things start to heat up here. So we get that letter from the Ministry of Magic saying, "Hey, you're you're expelled." Just right off the bat, like no trial, nothing. You're expelled. We're gonna destroy your wand, and you gotta go to this hearing. Mm -hmm. And so he gets that note first. Then another letter comes in, and this is from Mister Weasley. Mm -hmm. Harry Dumbledore's just arrived at the Ministry, and he's trying to sort it all out. Do not leave your aunt and uncle's house. Do not do any more magic. Do not surrender your wand. So, this is this is uh, now we're at, we're at the weird thing because one owl's telling him something's gonna happen. This one's telling them, "Hey, Dumbledore's there. They're gonna sort it out." So he's in this weird limbo. And he, what he actually decides to do is he actually decides to tell Uncle Vernon and Aunt Petunia exactly what's going on. Mm -hmm. Like he actually gives them the rundown. Like you've never seen Harry be this open about what goes on in the magical world with his Muggle like foster parents in a way you know what i mean not that they're foster mm -hmm. parents but still so uh this, well, i'll actually go ahead and, and talk a little bit about the situation that he explains to him he goes right i've changed my mind i'm staying he flung himself down on the kitchen table and faced dudley and ampetunia the dirtlies appeared taken aback at his abrupt change of mind ampetunia glanced despairingly at vernon and the uncle and the vein in uncle vernon's uh, purple temple was throbbing worse than ever who were all these ruddy owls from, he growled. The first one was from the Ministry of Magic expelling me, he said calmly. He was straining his ears to catch noises outside in case some Ministry representatives were approaching. And it was easier and quieter to answer Uncle Verna's questions than to have him start ragging and bellowing. The second one was from my friend Ron. His dad works at the Ministry. Ministry of Magic, bellowed Uncle Vernon. People like you are in government? Oh, this explains why everything's gone to the dogs. <laughs> the, the whole country's gone to the dogs. So, uh, he's like, Uncle Vernon asked, like, why did you get expelled? He's like, because I did magic. He's like, aha, so you admit it. What did you do to Dougley? <laughs> like, nothing. I, that wasn't me. And then, so, long story short here, guys, is he just kind of explains the exact situation. And the crazy part is, is when he tells him what the Dementors are, Aunt Petunia actually already knows what Dementors are. And that kind of throws Uncle Vernon for a loop. 
He's like, he's like, these things actually exist. Because mm-hmm. they explain the whole situation. You know, we were walking down there. We got attacked by these Dementors. They guard a wizard prison. Like, like, they're about to take out Dudley's soul. I stopped him with my shield charm that I could do with the Patronus. Like, this is all that happened. And, like, you know, Uncle Vernon, he's not believing a word of this because he's like, this is all nonsense. You, you cause magic. My son's hurt. That's the only thing going through Uncle Vernon's head. Like, you did magic. My son's hurt. That's it. And, and then... It's just interesting that Ampetunia knew knows exactly what Dementors are, and that's uh, Uncle Vernon said. He looked at her incredulously, and it's like, so these like prison guards actually exist. <laughs> and Petunia's like, yeah. So I thought that that was pretty important because at this point in time, this is when Uncle Vernon says, "All right, you're out of the house, man. Bye." <laughs> like you're like 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 you you're causing all these problems. Like my son just got attacked. You're here by the grace of us. You're not even our responsibility. You've caused nothing but issues this summer. We're, we're done. Bye. We're done. Well, bye. You're gone. Get out of the house. <laughs> Goodbye. And then, <laughs> Goodbye. And then that's when we get the big foreshadow, but also an important letter from... It doesn't say who it's from yet, and we find out who it is later, but it's actually a howler. It's a red envelope, and it busts open, and it says... Remember my last, Petunia. And then she has a sudden change of heart and says, he's staying. Harry's staying. Wasn't, won't take Uncle Vernon's word for it. He's like, nope, Vernon, <laughs> he stays. He's staying. I don't care what you say. He's staying. And that brings us to chapter three, the advance guard. Mm-hmm. And with that, I'll, I'll turn it over to you. Yeah, man. Uh, did you have anything before he gets that like new letter from the ministry that you want to add in there? Let's see here. Let's take a look. Yes. Uh, the, 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 I actually do. Okay. He actually sends this letter to uh, Hermione, Sirius, and Ron. The same letter. He sends yeah. it out three times. I've just been attacked by Dementors, and I might be expelled from Hogwarts. I want to know what's going on and when I'm going to get out of here. So, he literally tells Hedwig... You will not return until you peck them, and like and when they give out good, lengthy responses, because he's had it. He's had it. No one's responding. He's just his life has just been threatened. He almost died. He had to save his cousin, and still he doesn't really know what's going on. So <clears throat> three whole days pass with nothing, no answers, no help from friends. But yeah, so go ahead and take it from the uh, the other the other letter that he gets that is a little bit different from the ministry okay gotcha and i um and this is in the advanced guard right so that oh actually no you know this this is actually still in chapter two a peck of owls so i i I skipped over the i skipped over this this was my mistake is when he says dear mr potter Mm -hmm. further to our letter of approximately 22 minutes ago the ministry of magic has revised its decision to destroy your wand forthwith you may retain your wand until your disciplinary hearing on the 12th of August, at which time an official decision will be taken. Following discussions with the headmaster of Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry, the ministry has agreed that the question of your expulsion will also be decided at that time. You should therefore consider yourself suspended from school pending further inquiries. Your best wishes. Sincerely, Mafelda Hopkirk. So, now we've got the, the letter from the ministry saying, okay, we're not coming to destroy your wand just yet. You still have a hearing. You're not technically expelled, but you're suspended pending investigation, basically. And that's when Sirius <laughs> actually gets a message through to Harry saying, Arthur's just told what's happened. Don't leave the house again, whatever you do. And then that's kind of where I told you 
told everybody where Vernon tries to kick him out. Mm-hmm. And Petunia receives a howler. And Petunia's like, no, he stays. And now we're at the Vance Garden. I'll, I'll, I'll yeah. give it over to you. Perfect. By the way, I remember Uncle Vernon, like, when they were going back and forth, he was like, does your lot have the death sentence? <laughs> He's like, I have a hearing. He's like, oh, good. Very good. <laughs> yeah, I suppose so. Whoa, you Anyways. know what's really ironic about that, bro? You just made me think about this. This is off the top of my head. Technically, the Dementors kiss is the death penalty for magic prisons, and he just escaped the Dementors. That's a very interesting way to put that. Because he really did. Wow, that's... he just he just escaped the death sentence. Like yeah, that's really interesting because that that's how you kill. Like that's what they do for the prisoners in Azkaban. Like if they decide that you need to die, they perform the Dementor's kiss. Yeah. So that, like talk about major foreshadowing there. That that's we really didn't interesting. Think of for I know it. Like the <laughs> irony on that man. Um, <laughs> and that that's funny too at that point because remember like he was even like. But what are Dementoids doing in Little Winging? And, like, they were going back and forth. So, and we don't have to read that. I was just saying, like, it's just ironic, like, how that point you just made, that, that's, that's really funny. But, uh, so, when we're picking up here, over in uh, the Advanced Guard, so, uh, first thing I have here is, so, Harry sends a note. Uh, you did you have did you already say that part where he sends that note to Sirius? So Ron, Sir, right? yeah, and then he yeah, tells sorry. Hagrid to keep pecking them until yeah. they get the good good long responses. Yeah, but that's where I left off. Gotcha. I thought you did. I just it threw me off for a minute with us backtracking there. Um, but one thing I thought was cool, right? So uh, kind of like the minute like arrives in their kitchen <laughs> like all these like famous wizards, right? Like it's almost like if you had like a celebrity that you've always thought about for years and then they just arrived in your house or if you were a kid and like i remember when i was a kid i was like man i'd really love to meet the power rangers so like if i was when i was three i'd be like oh man like have dreams about the power rangers like arriving in my house in the middle of the night on christmas day or something that's kind of <laughs> like what this like reminded me of man so um so basically what happens is they conjure up this like letter so that uncle vernon like wins it's like the lawn award like who has the best yeah. like, lawn right so like they conjure that up so they it gives them an excuse to get there without the dursleys there so they go on this like lawn competition retreat um and one thing that really stuck out to me here is so everyone that shows up here uh, like kind of cool cool people that really make a difference later on so Nymphadora yeah. Tonks. We've heard about her for like a really long time. So she's like described as young, a pale shaped heart face, uh, dark twinkling eyes and short spiky hair. Uh, that was a shade violet. And we start hearing a lot about her uh, later on or Kingsley Shacklebolt. Like he, he plays a big part um, known as I don't want to say African-American because we don't know if he's from America is why I say that. So um, I would say it's described actually in the book, so I don't mean anything derogatory when I say this. Just they do say um, a black bald wizard standing farthest back. Like that's actually from the book. So that's yeah, not and that's that's not a derogatory term anyway. Saying someone's black, that's not derogatory at all. That, that's yeah. that, he's he's black. That's what yeah. I, just, like, I didn't want to call yeah. him African American because we don't. Right? Yeah. No, he's not. We're not in America, baby. We're they're over in uh, London, man. Right? Yeah, <laughs> London, man. But, uh, so yeah, and, and we hear about him a lot, or Iphias Dodge, he's described as like a wheezy voice wizard, or Emmeline Vance, uh, 
kind of like an emerald green um, shawl, like inclined on her head. Like these very odd, like people are Sturgis Podmore. You know, he, he's got that straw colored hair with that thick jawline or Hestia Jones. Uh, she's described as like a pink cheeked black haired witch. Um, so like we're getting introduced to all these new characters and it's all from like, think of last book, right? We really didn't know the true Mad-Eye Moody because we know what happened then. Well, now this is the true Mad-Eye Moody that's in there. Um, and so they, they go in and... Uh, do, you, face- do you mind if I tell... Because I wrote down yeah. every single person that it, it was. I'm just, so the, the people who showed up to get Harry were Remus Lupin, Alistair Moody, Nymphadora Tonks, Kingsley Shacklebolt, Alpheus Doge, Daedalus Diggle, Emmeline Vance, Sturgis Pogmore... And Hestia Jones. Mm-hmm. So those are the whole squad that's lit up. And then stir that that keep that Sturgis Podmore name in your mm-hmm. heads, guys, because he's someone that comes up later on. But that's I just want to get the whole squad get their names out there. <laughs> the squad, man. No, that's good. Yeah. And that's the thing too. Like a lot of these I'm glad you made that point because a lot of these like wizards, because there's such a lot of names, you probably think, Oh, those are just minor characters, but they really play a big role later on. That's why we bring them up here. Um, but the first thing that really stuck out to me that was such a typical Mad Eye Moody mood is like when he's like washing his like eye in like the thing of water, um, and Tonks goes, "Mad Eye, you do know that's disgusting, don't you?" Said Tonks conversely. "Give me a glass of water, would you, Harry?" Asked Moody. Harry crossed to the dishwasher, took out a glass, and filled it with water at the sink. Still watched eagerly by the band of wizards. Their relentless staring was starting to annoy him. Cheers, said said Moody uh, when he handed him the glass. Uh, And then he dropped the magical eyeball into the water. And it prottled up and down. The eye whizzed around, like spinning spinning around, uh, staring at them all in turn. He said, I want 360 degrees visibility on return on the journey. <laughs> like, that was such a Mad-Eye Moody thing. Uh, and I was just like, yeah, that, that is really disgusting. <laughs> that is pretty gross. Um, next thing there, uh, you know, because I'm a Lupin guy, I, I did bring him up. Like, Lupin, at this point, getting to him around, like, page 51, tells them uh, they're actually going to travel on brooms, which, you know, is... Uh, you know, that's Harry's really niche, I would say. Like, there's not going to be, you know, he says you can't apparate yet. Uh, and you're, you know, we can't use the flu network. Like, that's going to be monitored. And everyone knows we don't have enough money to be making our own unauthorized port keys. So we're not going to be doing that. So, you know, we get to go on a little ride here. And um, at that point, what was really cool was, you know, we've seen Harry use this invisibility cloak for all this time, right? Uh, from the beginning, like, all the way Sorcerer's Stone. So he starts almost, like, put it on. And this kind of brought up almost one of our points, like, where the film, I feel like, really messed it up in Azkaban, where he kept his glasses on the whole time. Moody brings it up a point here in the book. He's like, like, how are you going to keep that on? So they use what's called the disillusionment charm, which basically, like, turns him into camouflage, like a chameleon at this point. So he, like, blends in, which is... Uh, such a genius move um, because you know it, it really goes to show that JK Rowling is like covering every single detail here because I mean one little slip right like they get seen by some muggle or you forget to do something like that or even like think about the fact like you know you're flying at 60 miles an hour in the middle of the air 
we know that cloak's not staying on, so she does a really good job covering her tracks here. And I just thought that disillusionment charm was really cool. So, and I'll turn it back over to you, my man, Jay Nelly. 100%. It's awesome because we're almost like dead on with each other. I just had two points right before that. One yeah. is where we learned that Tonks herself is a metamorphagus. Mm-hmm. That's important. Uh, it's someone who can change their appearance at will. Mm-hmm. And they're really rare. And they're, they are only born. You can't become one. And then also in page 52, we learn that Tonks and Kingsley Shacklebore are Aurors, which is you know, it's pretty important for what they do as a yeah. thing, because they work at the Ministry. That's why it's important, because you know mm-hmm. there's kind of a battle right now between the Ministry and, and people who support Dumbledore. Uh, but yeah, then they got the disillusionment charm that you were talking about. The next thing I'm going to bring up is pretty cool, is just the formation that they decide to go in. I like, I like tactics. And I like thinking, like, Moody has a really cool mind in the way it thinks, like, he's going to be attacked anywhere. <laughs> so, the theory here with, uh, um, just going to tell us a little bit about what they decide to do and how they're going to, with the formation, that's the word I was looking for, formation. So, clear night, grunts and Moody is magicalized, scanning the, he- the heavens. Could have done with a bit more cloud cover. Right, you, he barked to Harry. We're going to be flying in, flying in close formation. Tonks will be right in front of you. Keep close on her tail. Lupin will be covering you from below. I'm going to be behind you, and the rest of us will be. Then the rest will be circling us. We don't break ranks for anything. Got me? If one of us is killed, is that likely? Harry asked apprehensively, but Morty ignored him. The others keep flying. Don't stop. Don't break ranks. If they take out all of us and you survive, Harry, the rear guard are standing by to take over. Keep flying east, and they'll join you. So, like, this guy's got the whole thing mapped out already. <laughs> like, like and, and honestly, think about it, guys. So, basically, this is what it's going to be. Tonks in front, Harry behind her, Moody behind him, uh, Lupin on one side, King's on the other side, and then the rest are going to be circling around them like a big Ferris wheel going around and around that formation. So, there really isn't a good way to attack that. Like, it's a perfect way to, to, to escort them from one place to another safely. So, I thought that was cool. But... Um, yeah, so that, that's what I had there. Uh, the, the Harry and the advance guard, they actually leave, they leave the privet drives on broom. And then on page 57, I'm going to read you guys from... Uh, but something a little little cool about Kingsley Shacklebolt. It says, Kingsley, Kingsley Shacklebolt swooped around him, bald pate and earring gleaming slightly in the moonlight. Now, Emmeline Vance was on her, right, her wand out, her head turning left and right. Then she too swooped over him to be replaced by Sturgis Podmore. So that's just going to show you that that's it goes like that. Like Kingsley went over, then Sturgis went over, then Emily Vest. So like that's what we're talking about with the formation. They've got like the star around him, like one on each side, one in front and back, and then they've got the circle going around that thing there. So I just thought that was really cool, man. And then uh, last part I'll have, and I'll turn it back over to you, is just from page fifty-eight. Uh, this is honestly. This whole kind of... I'm going to read the whole page, honestly. Go for it. Because it, it, it's pretty no, important. Yeah, it'd be a uh, justice if you didn't. Cooler if you right, didn't. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. So uh, this is this is where they kind of they arrive someplace. So uh, where are we, Harry asked. But Lupin said quietly, in a minute. Moody was rummaging in his cloak and his gnarled hands clumsy with cold. Got it, he muttered, raising what looked like a silver cigarette lighter into the air and clicking it. The nearest street lamp went out with a pop. He clicked the un, the uh, the unlighter again. So this is like the third name we've had for it. We've had put outer, unlighter, and later on they used illuminator. So yeah. like this damn thing has got a bunch of names. <laughs> but anyways, 
We kept clicking it until every lamp in the square was extinguished and the only light in the square came from curtain windows and the sickle moon overhead. Borrowed it from Dumbledore, growled Moody, pocketing the put-outer. Now take care of any muggles looking out of the window. Now come on, quick. He took Harry by the arm and led him from the patch of grass across the road and onto the pavement. Lupin and Tonks followed, carrying Harry's trunk between them, the rest of the guard, all with their wands out, flanking him. The muffled pounding of a stereo was coming from an upper window in the nearest house. The pungent smell of rotting rubbish from the pile of the bulging bin bags just outside the broken gate. Here, Moody muttered, dusting a piece of parchment toward Harry's disillusioned hand and holding his lit wand close to it to illuminate the writing, read quickly and memorize. Harry looked down at the piece of paper, the narrow handwriting, it looked very familiar, and it said, The headquarters of the Order of Phoenix may be found at number 12, Grimwald Place, London. So now we, this is, this is, in the way that's kind of a foreshadow because of what this house is used for. And then even later on in the series, how it comes up again. But now we're here. Now, like, now we're at that part where we're starting to, Harry's no longer alone. His, his advance guard came him. They brought him to the secret place of the Order of Phoenix. We're going to learn a little bit here in just a second about uh, who's in the Order and some of the things that they talk about. So with that, man, to start Chapter 4, Number 12, Grimald Place, I'll turn it over to you, brother. Yeah, man. Who gave you the Order? Who gave you the Order? <laughs> the Order. Um, real quick, before you start Grimald Place, I did want to uh, mention a, a, just a cool little scene I thought of that was right before they left. Tonks, when she goes up to Harry's room and starts trying to help him pack, it reminded me of one thing I feel like Prisoner of Azkaban film did do good on, despite like a lot of its flaws it did have was uh remember when lupin like had his shoes like pack itself up in yes. there that's really like yep. what this reminded me of was because tonks like really goes into detail on it because she's talking about like her mom and like kind of the little tricks of this trade it reminded me of like hermione in the film when she's like swish and flick back in like sorcerer's stone and it she goes she's helping harry pack and uh tonks like swishes out her wand right and starts like picking everything up for harry and she goes it's not very neat and she walks over to the trunk and looks down and it's like all jumbled up inside and she goes my mom's got this knack of getting stuff to fit itself neatly she even gets the socks to fold themselves but i've never mastered how she does it it's kind of a flick she flicked her wand hopefully and then one of harry's socks gave it a feeble cert sort of wiggle and then flat back on top uh with the mess it was in so like she still couldn't get it to go <laughs> neatly, do it. but it's yeah. just one of those cool things to think about like who would have thought like folding clothes almost like the bewitched thing right when our wand division like you know she gets things to like fix themselves like no one thinks that actually takes talent and then you got Tonks. That's like a, a metamorph. What do you call it? Metaman guy. Metam- uh, yeah, met- uh, metamorphagus. She's metamorphagus. Metamorphagus. Yeah, and she yeah. can't even get socks to fold themselves. So I just thought that was <laughs> thought that was pretty cool. Um, and now we're gonna start on like a really cool chapter. So the, you know, the number twelve uh, Grimwald place, which brings up a, a lot of really cool points about your voice. Your boy. So I'll let you take a lot of this, but uh, just to kind of kick us off here. Um, so, uh, the group, uh, when they're, when they're there, they're standing outside of the house and, you know, they're looking to the left and it's kind of almost like that platform nine and three quarters kind of vibe right here. Yeah. Uh, it really is with a more of like a Halloween eerie feeling like I wouldn't want to be there. Um, you know, I wouldn't want to be at this place in a dark alley. Like it's probably not someplace you want to be like, Hey, I'll go on vacation here. Um, to the left. 
was 10 and to the right was 13 all of a sudden like a battered door like a well to the, to the left was 11 to the left was 11 not 10 because that oh, would make sorry. sense yeah you're right <laughs> to the left was 11 uh to the right was 13 and then yeah. uh, it says the battered door uh emerged between 11 and 13 so you're right sorry about that um just misspoke there it was as though an extra house had been inflated with the derm uh, one thing i made a note of was the dirty walls and like grimy windows like this is not you know we talked about the joneses earlier this is not magnolia way like this is mag- not magnolia crescent at all <laughs> this is the exact opposite like you have just stepped into the hood man yeah. <laughs> in the projects bro uh, and then it says the silver door knocker was in the form of a twisted serpent. So I thought that was cool. It said there was no keyhole or letterbox. Lupin pulled out his wand and tapped the door once. Harry heard many loud metallic clicks and what sounded like the clatter of a chain. And then the door cracked open. And then Moody, like, this is when he was like, you know, when they go back inside, this was like just a little cool scene. It's not very important, but he like wrapped. Harry to take the disillusion, the disillusionment charm off, and he described it as like he was feeling like a sense of like he felt something hot like trickle down as the disillusionment charm was lifted. So like it's all those little devils in the details that are so cool. Um, and then you know just like this point, like as they're going in, like you have that eerie feeling. It says, you know, the others hushed. Voices were giving Harry an odd feeling of foreboding. It was as though they just entered a house of a dying person. He heard a soft hissing noise, and then an old-fashioned gas lamp sputtered into life as along the walls, casting a flickering, insubstantial light over the peeling wallpaper and threadbare carpet of a long, gloomy hallway where a cobwebby chandelier glimmered overhead and age-blackened portraits hung croaked on walls. Harry heard something scuttling behind the baseboard, but the chandelier and the the cattle bra. How C A N D E L A B R A. I guess that's how, yeah. Candle candle bra, bra. candelabra yeah. or whatever, whatever holds. Yeah, it's like a candle bra. Right? So it's like what holds the candles? Like it's what holds the stuff. Like it's like a bra for candles. <laughs> like, yeah, that's what. The, okay, good. Yeah. I was yeah. saying it right. I just wanted to make sure yeah. I was. <laughs> actually read that right there because i've i've never used one before but i gotcha so, but, and the candle bra on the rickety table nearby was shaped like serpents too so it's almost like i imagined and tell me if you kind of got this vibe it's almost like you walked in like the haunted mansion but it was mixed with like someone that was in the slytherin household that was really stoked on slytherin are like really wanted to get into the Chamber of Secrets, but couldn't figure it out. So they really had that fandom, but they bought the Haunted Mansion. Like that's where you're going into was the vibe I got here. So I just thought it was cool. And with that, I'll, I'll turn it back over to you, Jay Nelly. I mean, to your point, like if you guys, for those who are, if you got, not that you're reading along, but if you got the book and you want to take it out on page 59, just look at the illustration of uh mm-hmm. like of chapter four it's got literally like house elf heads hanging on plaques so you already have like a weird like what the heck is going on in this place so weird. but yeah i know it, it is it's got a creepy vibe and like, we come to learn exactly why yeah they the all the serpents everywhere they're like one of the oldest families and they all were all in the house of slytherin all of them except you know who owns the place now which you know it's not a terrible big foreshadow you know but 
We'll, we'll talk about it here in a second. Uh, the next thing I got here is uh, he miss, like Mrs. Weasley. Well, first, this on the very first page, you know how you were talking about how he read the paper, then burned the parchment, and that's when like the the house is split open. Like right. this is how they protect it, and like the, how they keep a secret from the enemies, so they no one knows where to find the the headquarters, of the Order of the Phoenix. So it's pretty very ingenious, honestly. But also, it's kind of like a double. It's like a double-edged sword because of the type of house that you're going into is all basically like built to the dark arts. And number two, <laughs> there's something else living in there that doesn't like the good guys, I'll say. You know what I mean? I, I don't want to say anything to give it away. We're going to find out about him in just a second. But it's like, yeah, it's great. It's super secret. But like you're going, you're doing it in, in someone else's house that like... It, then the person, the only thing living there still is against you, which is kind of crazy. Yeah. But uh, on page 61, Mrs. Weasley, they, they, she doesn't let Harry into the room because only the meeting is only for members of the order. Uh, page 62, that's what I was talking about. Like that, now we finally get the, the words to match the illustration. And, uh, the mounted head, heads of dead house elves on the wall. And Creature like wants to join them eventually. So, But uh, in page 62... Talking about Hermione, and then she finally, so Harry finally gets to see her, like Hermione and Ron, and he's pretty pissed at them. But, like, it's not their fault. They're doing what they were told. Like, they're <laughs> kids. They're, they're all 15 years old listening to the adults. Like, Dumbledore said, don't do this, so they're not going to do it. So, like, that's what she tells him. Like, hey, Dumbledore made us swear that we wouldn't tell you anything in the letters in case they go astray or someone intercepts them. Like, stop, stop crying about it, boy. Like, <laughs> like what do you want? But, uh, then this is a small full circle moment is when Hedwig herself did indeed take Harry's advice and peck Ron and Hermione because Ron even had a deep cut on his hand that was bleeding from where Hedwig wouldn't leave him alone until they gave him a good sized response. Uh, now, the first on page uh, 64, there's the first four paragraphs here that are pretty important that have to do with the Order of the Phoenix. I'll read them right now. Well, no, but that's why he's had people from the Order of the Phoenix telling you all the time regarding Dumbledore. That's what Ron's saying. And Harry felt a great jolt in his guts as though he had just missed a step going downstairs. So everyone had known that he was being fouled except him. Didn't work all that well, though, did it? Said Harry, doing his utmost cue his voice even. I had to look after myself after all, didn't I? He was so angry, said Hermione in an almost awestruck voice. Dumbledore, we saw him. When he found out Moondungus had left his shift had ended... He was scary. And the reason I put that there is because some of the things that you like to say, there's another side of Dumbledore we don't often see. And like, like they're even saying, like, he was scary. <laughs> like, yeah. like, that's the exact words, man. So I thought that was wildly important. Uh, page 68, talk a little bit about Fred and George. They learned how to apparate, which is nice. <laughs> so uh, and it was it was funny, too, because uh, they actually make a joke about... Um, they make a joke at Harry's expense because Harry was yelling and shouting at Ron and Hermione about like how everything was going on. And so when they apparate and get there, they said, Hello, Harry, said George B. We thought we heard your dulcet tones. <laughs> you don't want to bottle up your anger like that, Harry. Let it all out. There might be a couple people 50 miles away who didn't hear you. <laughs> so I just thought that was really funny. And um, then on page 69, we learned Snape is there giving a top secret report. That's what he's doing. Snape doesn't come around that often, we'll come to learn later on. So when he does, it's really important, and there's a reason why it's important, and it's a foreshadow from Goblet of Fire. Dumbledore has sent 
Snape on a mission that we don't know anything about yet. And so now he's giving top secret reports that come up pretty big later on. And then in page 70, and now I'll turn it over to you. This is just a funny foreshadow that I mentioned in passing about uh, Fleur Delacour and Bill Weasley. Yeah. Uh, he, said, he, he said, is Bill here? I thought he was working in Egypt. He applied for a desk job so he could come home and work for the order. He says he misses the tombs, but there are compensations. What do you mean? Remember old Fleur Delacour, said George? She's got a job at Gringotts to uh, improve her English. And Bill's been giving her a lot of private <laughs> lessons, said Fred. So I love that. That's a good foreshadow for what happens with them. Uh, but yeah, so where are we at right now, basically? Harry is letting all of his frustration out on his best friends. It's not really their fault, but he's finally got to say what he's had to say to their face. But he's also learning a bit, too, that Dumbledore has been kind of, like you said, playing chess in the background, making sure people are following Harry. Like, you know, he got crazy scary when Mundungus messed up and, you know, they weren't able to send any letters. So he starts, you know, he gets all of his frustration out and now we're Fred and George making jokes at him, which is kind of makes... Makes you think the all is right with the world, right? Fred and George are picking on him, so we're all, we're all good here. So with that, man, I'll, I'll turn it back over to you. Just throwing this out there, too, which, you know, we're done with Game of Thrones, but I'm just saying, like, these are two... 50, they're 15 now, right? You were saying 15? Who? They're all 15, Who? right? Uh, Hermione and Ron and Harry. Yeah, Harry, Ron, and Hermione are all 15. Yeah. I, yeah, when you said the two, I thought you were talking about Fred and George. They were 17. Oh, yeah. But, I'm just um, saying, you know, yeah. Sansa Stark was basically you know became queen of the north uh she's like 20 something years old she couldn't keep a secret for Jon snow that hasn't even announced his royalty yet <laughs> and then you got like two 15 year old kids keeping secrets from their best friends like actually doing their job like come on sansa like you couldn't well, keep a secret two seconds and you got two 15 year olds that are keeping secrets from their best friend all summer don't you think that was pretty dang hard let's put like, it just in, throwing that out there let's man. put it like, in perspective but um i did want to read this let's quick put that in perspective i'm though. sorry to interrupt you i didn't want to interrupt did you, you yeah go ahead i just i just want to answer what you said there because it's not it's, it's it's comparing apples and oranges because here's the thing harry i'm sorry ron and hermione the only way they could have told harry anything was through letters through an owl like, which are easily intercepted. It's not like they were keeping secrets from him like while they were all together. You know that they would have told him if they were all in the same room, but like they couldn't. So like it's, okay. it's not the same. I but, can see your point. I'm yeah. just saying. But anyways, like, yeah, go I mean, ahead. Yeah. I, I would love to see what Sansa would have done in that situation. Like Dumbledore goes, Sansa, <laughs> you got to swear to me. You cannot tell. You cannot tell uh, Tyrion. You can't tell Tyrion at all. Like he can't know because everyone's gonna find <laughs> out. Five seconds later, it was like an owl on the way to Tyrion. <laughs> like, hey, Tyrion, guess what yep. I know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Just throwing it out there. But I do want to read this one line, and it's just one line. But like, it goes to what I was saying earlier, where you 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 um hit this nail on the head. I just wanted to say this line because it shows like how nasty Harry's gotten. Because, like, this is my point here. Like, he says, so you haven't been in meetings? Big deal. You've still been here, haven't you? You've still been together? Like, almost, like, foreshadowing, like, like how they're, like, putting each other over him. Almost like it makes you wonder if, like, he senses something's going on with them after Goblet went down with the Yule Ball, you know? Me? I've been stuck at the Dursleys for a month, and I've had to handle more than you two have ever managed. And this is where it gets really nasty, because, like, he really, like, goes to show, like, I really don't give a crap about what you've done for me, ever. 
Dumbledore knows it. Who saved the Sorcerer's Stone? Who got rid of Riddle? Who saved both your skins from the Dementors? Every bitter and resentful thought that Harry had in the past month was pouring out of him. His frustration at the lack of news that hurt what they had all been together without him. His fury at being followed and not being told about it. All these feelings he was half ashamed of finally burst out their boundaries. Like... Like, it, it, I just wanted to read that line for where he says the Sorcerer's Stone and stuff. Because it's like, this is when you're really nasty. Like, it's like, it's not to the point of, like, when you say things, things can come out worse. Like, when it, the way it sounds. Like, say someone got cussed out or something, right? But it's when you're bringing up the point of, like, almost like, I don't care what you did for me. Like, it wasn't good enough. Like, he discredited them. This is two people that's been his best friend for years. And they were with him through all that. Like, I get it. Like, Ron was in the hospital. Who got who used the time turner to bring him back there? Who got him through the riddle? Who actually put uh, the queen in checkmate to get him there in the Sorcerer's Town? Harry's over here taking all the credit. Like, I get it. Like, you're the guy, Harry. Like, you're the chosen one that you always brag about. But at the same time, like, who helped you get there? Like, he just gave them no credit whatsoever, man. So, that's why I was like, that's really nasty. Like, I mean, and I mean, there's no point in ever reading the whole thing. I just wanted to read that line, like, because that's what that's really, that's messed up. Like, and they, they, all they did, if Harry would calm down and realize he's actually, like, 15 years old. Like, you're not a little boy anymore, Harry. Calm your, get your high, take your butt off your shoulders, Harry. And actually realize, like, would you? I would love to see Harry be like, I'm not keeping that secret, Dumbledore. Tell my friends right now, Dumbledore. Okay, we'll see what you have to say. Uh, and then I'll take this next part, and then I'll, I'll turn it back over to you. But So um, this is when Hermione tells Harry that, you know, the Order of the Phoenix is a secret society, and Dumbledore's in charge. She says, is anyone going to bother to tell me what the Order of the Phoenix is when he's getting nasty here? It's a secret society, said Hermione quickly. Dumbledore's in charge. He founded it. It's the people who fought against you-know-who in the last the last time. Um, and then now you know a little bit about what's going on here. Like, that's a big moment because you're, you're realizing this wasn't just, like, put together. Like, this has been in the works for a long time. It's just something really significant had to happen for these guys are the top of the top. Like, this isn't some... I am not harping on like fraternities or anything, but this isn't in a, a fraternity in college. Like you, you gotta be like top of the top to get in here. So that was a big, big moment there where it's like, wake up, Harry. Well, like you're not. Do the they? The because like Mundungus Fletcher is in the orders, and like, is he really the top of the top of anything? Why <laughs> did they let that guy in there? <laughs> That's my issue. But okay, back to you, man. Uh, sure. Yeah, dude. That, that that was a really good thing that you brought up that I had skimmed over. Like, to actually explain what the Order is, I just assumed, like, oh, you guys have read it, so you know, but no, good good way to actually break it down, like, what the Order does, like, yeah. and how, like, why they were founded, so that's a good thing. Um, the next thing I've got is uh, when we learn that Percy chose his career with the Ministry over his own family. Yeah. And that's pretty messed up. And it even goes even further later on into the book. Um, and it's, it's, a, <laughs> it's a consistent issue, but... <laughs> That's that's kind of messed up. This this is a family like you you can't if you tell me that there's a nicer family than the Weasleys in the magical world, I won't believe you. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like they've done everything. They've got like their kids. They they are so nice. They don't have a lot of money, but they give all their love 
to their kids. Like they they don't go without that. And Percy said, "Screw that! I'm on my money. I'm, I'm about myself. I'm selfish." Like that's what he is because he got promoted. Like he's like, "Oh, the minister promoted me to junior assistant to the ministry," which is already sketchy because remember he was under like he was being. Uh, interrogated about the role of Mr. Crouch in the last book. So like how do you go from like potentially being a uh, accomplice to a crime to promoted to the junior assistant to the ministry minister and they're they're trying to get him to see like they obviously want someone who's like to spy on Dumbledore or the Weasleys the people who associate with Dumbledore for them. And that's what they try to get Percy to see and Percy's so egotistical. He's like, "No, screw that. You guys are all wrong." And so he's like he ends up basically cutting ties with his family it breaks mrs weasley's heart like mr weasley you know he's really upset about it but i thought that was pretty important uh page 73 to 74 we learn the daily prophet's been trashing harry's name making him come off as a lying attention seeker to sway the public's opinion on him so that way they don't believe harry about voldemort's return like there's there's more words to it but that's the main gist of it they, they basically want to discredit anything he does or says so that way they can continue along pretending that Lord Voldemort's not back. And honestly, it's not it's not that they're pretending. They really don't believe it. Like they right. really don't believe it in the Minister of Mag like the Ministry of Magic doesn't believe it. But they're making it seem like anyone else who does try to believe it, you're just as dumb as this fifteen year old kid. Like they make right. it sound really bad. So uh, this is a this is pretty cool too, because this is one of the biggest foreshadows. I wanted to read this out. When we find out what creature is, but this is the line that foreshadows a heartbreaking part of this book later on. This is Hermione speaking. It's not Spoo, said Hermione heatedly. It's a society for the promotion of elvish warfare. Or, uh, I'm sorry, of, of elvish welfare. And it's not just me. Dumbledore says we should be kind to creature too. Mm -hmm. And that's like really important. The kindness shown to creature uh, is wildly important. Not only for this book and stuff that happens later on, but also in the seventh book as well, too. So I thought that was wildly important. And then the last two things I'll have here before I turn it back over to you is on page 77, the last two paragraphs uh, through the end of page 78. This is going to be uh, a nice little read for me. But anyways, the moth-eaten velvet curtains Harry had passed earlier had flown apart, but there was no door behind them. For a split second, Harry thought he was looking through a window. A window behind which an old woman in a black cap was screaming and screaming as though she was being tortured. Then he realized it was simply a life-size portrait, but the most realistic and the most unpleasant he had ever seen. The old woman was drooling, her eyes were rolling, the yellowing skin of her face stretched taut as she screamed. And all along the hall behind them, the other portraits woke and began to yell too, so that Harry actually had to screw up his eyes at the noise and clap his hands over his ears. Lupin and Mrs. Weasley darted forward and tried to tug the curtain shut over the old woman, but they, they would not close, and she screeched louder than ever, brandishing clawed hands as though trying to tear at their faces. Filth! Scum! Byproducts of dirt and vileness! Half-breeds! Mutants! Freaks! Be gone from this place! How dare you befoul the house of my fathers! And Tonks apologized over and over again at the same time, dragging the huge, heavy troll's leg back off the floor. Mrs. Weasley abandoned the attempt to close the curtains, hurried up and down the hall, stunning all the other porches with her wand. Then a man with long black hair came charging out of the door facing Harry. Shut up, you horrible old hag. Shut up, he roared, seizing the curtain Mrs. Weasley had abandoned. The old woman's face blanched. You, she howled, her eyes popping at the sight of the man. Blood traitor. 
abomination, shame of my flesh. I said, shut up, roared the man, and with a stupendous effort, he and Lupin managed to force the curtain closed again. The woman's screeches died and an echoing silence fell. Panting slightly and sweeping the long, dark hair out of his eyes, Harry's godfather, Sirius, turned to look at him. Hello, Harry, he said grimly. I see you've met my mother. That's so, an awesome part. Big, big part there. So now we learn that this house belongs to Sirius Black. And what did we learn from that specific passage I read? Sirius Black's mom hates him. The, right. the, the, he calls him a blood traitor. Like, shame of my flesh. Mm-hmm. So this house is really not welcome to what's going on inside it right now. And that's going to come up big later on on why things happen the way they do. Especially with a certain portrait uh, <laughs> not just of this one, but a certain portrait that we come across later on. So now getting into Chapter 5, Order of the Phoenix, I'll pass it over to you, brother. Yeah, man. Uh, the first kind of things I have kicking us off here is, uh, so Sirius uh, mentioning going to that portrait you were talking about, the mentions that his mom's painting, uh, they've been trying to take it down for a month, but they think she's put a permanent sticking charm on it, which is why they can't just take it down. Um, and then he tells Harry... You know, the Grimwald, uh, Grimwald place uh, was, of course, his parents' house and verifies it. And he says, I'm the last black left, so I uh, offered it to Dumbledore as headquarters, about the only useful thing I've been able to do. So he's allowing Dumbledore to use this place as the headquarters for the Order of the Phoenix meetings. Because, especially, this is really genius, too, because everyone's like thinking Sirius still, like, people forget. Everyone except for this like little order and the people that are on Dumbledore's side still think Sirius is a maniac. Uh, so like, why would they ever go looking for this place when they think Sirius uh, Sirius is on the run still? Like, it's really genius on Dumbledore and Sirius's part. And then um, Harry, I did uh, this kind of stuck out to me. Like Harry catches a glimpse of what seemed like to be a plan of a building. Uh, it's kind of a cool one there. Um, for sure. Yeah, and then uh, Bill takes out his wand and uh, mutters, Evanesco, and like a scroll vanishes. So that was a a cool moment there. And uh, Harry, this is kind of a little bit of a full circle because we haven't seen this one in a while. Uh, Harry sees Crookshanks around his knees, uh, and he like wounds himself around Harry's uh, legs and like jumps into Sirius's lap. And like at that moment, you're kind of like, wow, like, it's kind of like that sense of feeling like he Harry's never really been a big Crookshanks person, but it gives you that sense of like almost like his second father figure is home. Like he finally got that sense of I'm home now. Uh, whereas like I felt like all these people have just abandoned me all summer and things haven't gone my way because I can't get my butt off my shoulder and I feel bad for myself. <laughs> so uh, yeah, and with that, I'll turn it back over to you, man. For sure. The one thing that you said that was really interesting is like, that she knocked over the thing and it looked like a plan of a building. Mm-hmm. Well, that was pretty important, but it also shows us how clumsy Tonks is as well. Like it's, right. it's something that comes up normal, like like over and over again. Like Mrs. Weasley, it got to the point where Mrs. Weasley didn't even want Tonks to help out with preparing dinner. She's like, mm-hmm. "No, no, dear, you sit down. You're okay." Like she didn't even want to deal with it. But the next thing I got, and this is one of my favorite things because it's a nice little uh, thing with um, Sirius and. <laughs> and Harry. <laughs> so, for the first time, something like a grin flitted across Sirius's face. I don't know what you're complaining about myself. What? Harry said incredulously. Personally? 
I'd have welcomed the Dementor attack. A deadly struggle for my soul would have broken the monotony nicely. You think you've had it bad. At least you've been able to get out and about, stretch your legs, get into a few fights. I've been stuck in here for a month. How come, said Harry frowning, because the Ministry of Magic's still after me, and Voldemort will know all about me being an Animagus by now. Wormtail would have told him, so my big disguise is useless. There's not much I can do for the Order of the Phoenix, or so Dumbledore feels. That all there, it's, uh, there's a lot to unpack, right? It's, it's, it's his, like, good nature, like, you know, he's always for the thrill of the adventure, but this is the first time already, and this is going to be a repeated theme, Sirius feels like he's not doing enough to help. He feels like he's useless. He feels like he's trapped and stuck. And it, it leads, it could potentially lead to some rash behavior that could have some negative consequences, I'll say. Um, going on from there, uh, there's actually another spot that, just a small, small foreshadow here on page 83. There's uh, the second and third paragraph. <laughs> At least you'd know what's been going on, he said bracingly. Oh yeah, said Sirius sarcastically, listening to Snape's report, having to take all his snide hints that he's out there risking his life while I'm sat on my backside, having a nice comfortable time, asking me how the cleaning's going. Snape's goading him into like <laughs> getting angrier and angrier. He's like he's really uh, picking on him for having to stay put. And it, it comes up later on to a breaking point. And I don't know if those who remember, there gets a point where we don't know if there's going to be a, a duel between Sirius and Snape. Like that, get, it yeah. gets it gets to that point. But, anyways, uh, I thought that was kind of funny that uh, Fred and George they use magic to put dinner on the table that ends in like near disaster, like flies off the end Good of it. Boy, there, man. They're, they're, yeah, they're just trying to like because they they're 17 now, so they're allowed to use magic outside of school. So they're trying to do everything that they can. Um, so I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, then, fa- like, on page 85, Tonks is doing facial changes for entertainment around the dinner thing just to show off her ability as a metamorphagus. Then the last thing I'll have here, and I'll turn it back over to you, is on page 86, talking about Mundungus's business dealings. So, right here. And then, choke Mundungus, tears running down his face. If you can believe it, he says to me, he says, Ear dung, where'd you get all them toads from? Because some son of a bludger's gone and nicked all of mine. <laughs> and I says, nicked all your toads? Will, what next? So you'll be wanting some more then. And if you'll believe me, lads, the gormless gargoyle buys all his own toads back off me for twice what he paid for in the first place. <laughs> this little slimy criminal greaseball stole his friend's toads, then sold his own toads back to him for double the price. <laughs> Unbelievable, man. Wow, and I'll, ball, man. I'll give it back to you, brother, but I thought that was ridiculous. <laughs> it's literally a ridiculous crew thing. It is ridiculous. Yeah, uh, yeah what a slime ball. Uh, <laughs> a genius, though. But, um, yeah, kind of, I guess I got to catch up with you here because there was just a couple things I wanted to hit on there. Yeah. Um, as far as one thing I thought that was cool um, that I just wanted to mention, not super important, uh, but as far as, so it, it aids to your point that Madungus is a slime ball, man. He uh, he was like observing Sirius's silver goblet that they found, and it had it was that 15th century silver goblet 
and it had like the embroidered black family crest so he's finding all these items and like you said like the guy that's like stealing hubcaps selling them on craigslist like he's trying to, he's literally in this order like supposed to be an honorable guy and at the same time he's like stealing things from under people's nose almost like i wouldn't want this guy like offering to help me wash my clothes because you go in and then all your underwear is gone and you're like, dude, like, you just sold my boxer briefs? Like, how low do you get, man? No, what was this actual words? He, he, he even said that. He's like, he's like, oh, we can etch that off. Like, we, we can get the black name off of there. Like, yeah, what in like, the world? Yeah, like, was so messed up. <laughs> like, who does that? Like, there's... Uh, I had a boss tell me one time, like, we were just talking just to talk, you know? You just kind of shoot the shit every now and then. And I think we were out getting getting drinks one night. And I forgot what it was. I think he had an employee at one point that was, like, stealing money from, like, the cash register. And he was like, there's nothing worse than someone that's a thief. Like, I can forgive you if you've, like, lied about something or something, which is bad enough. Like, you got to get in the trash back. But someone that's, like, a thief, that's, like, the scum of the earth, man. Like, you are the scum of the earth. Like, there's no... There, I mean, there's lower you can get by doing, like, really bad shit, but, like, dude, you are trash. Like, I am not, I will not be friends with a thief, man. Like, there is no lower, man. Anyways, uh, so, catching up from me here, like, the other thing I wanted to bring up that actually is, like, a really big point here. So, Miss Weasley, this is on eight, pages 83 and 84. Uh, not gonna read it word for word, but Miss Weasley does say the small part that says, I've been meaning to tell you, there's something trapped in that writing desk in the drawing room. It keeps rattling and shaking, of course. It could be a boggart, but I thought we ought to ask Alistair to have a look at it before we let it out. And that plays a really big foreshadowing moment for next episode. So that's why I wanted to mention that, uh, because next episode, uh, that's a big moment there. Um... And then uh, uh, this this is, leads into my interesting facts, which is why I wanted the interesting fact, <laughs> I would say now, interesting fact, is that uh, Ms. Weasley said, the curtains in there are full of doxies, too. Ms. Weasley, Ms. Weasley went on, I thought we might try and tackle them tomorrow. <laughs> so if you can kind of get an idea of what my interesting fact is. Um, and then, like you were saying, Tonks, I did want to bring up the fact i thought it was cool like you mentioned you know she was like kind of showing off like she's a a man i gotta work on my words Met here. metamorphagus she's a metamorphagus metamorphagus i always think of like the animorphs metamorphagus okay uh in the film this was i do remember this part that was pretty cool like i i thought this was interesting of course the films you know I'm definitely seeing now how they can always improve, but this part I thought was cool. Like she like changes like her nose and stuff to a pig, which was really right out of the book, which was cool. And I, I this was the our gal that was in um uh, Game of Thrones actually Ramsey's way, I guess. But uh, not bringing that part up. But yeah, I thought she played a pretty cool role as Tonks. Like it was a it's a pretty cool like take on it, I would say. Um, yeah, she and, she played uh, Osha. You... What'd you say? Sorry. I said she played Osha in Game of Thrones. That's what that's the character she played. Osha, she played Osha that's yeah. what I'm trying to think of. You knew yeah. who I was talking about, yep. though. 
Right. Yep. With Ramsey's yep. way. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Don't don't go back to those episodes, man. Yeah. <laughs> Ramsey. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, uh, then I'll uh, just bring up one more fact, and then I'll let you uh, take it back from there, man. Um, be, I mean, this actually backs up your fact. I, I mean, you brought it up. You know how serious talked about how Madungas is basically trash, like he's a cr- criminal, but. Uh, Sirius and Molly, and then I'll, I'm gonna let you take it from here at, at this part. But um, Sirius and Molly, really a big part here is they start going back and forth, whether or not Harry's old enough or like should be informed on like general facts that's going on in the Order of the Phoenix. And one thing I brought up here is that I wanted to mention was your boys. Fred and George, like, remember Arthur is even like, well, if we're telling Harry, well, you have to let Fred and George in. And they're like, this isn't fair. Like, we're of age. Like, we should be knowing this stuff. And, uh, like, kind of like a spin, like, throwing some shade at Molly and Arthur here, like, right in the middle of the room. Sirius looks at George and Freddie. He's like, "Well, that's your mom and dad's like decision. Is why. <laughs> like, that's not my. I'd be like fine with it, but you know, your sleazy parents aren't telling you when you're of age." <laughs> I was like, "Whoa, man! Like, come on, dude! Like, really necessary, serious? Like, you're gonna step on those roots? Like, talk about throwing some shade there, man." Uh, so yeah, and this is when we get into this big part. So I'll let you take that part away, though. Sounds good, brother. Uh, so, exactly what you said. I actually was going to read that part for the yeah. talking about uh, Mundungus, but he said, How come he's in the order? said Harry very quietly. He's useful, Sirius muttered, knows all the crooks. Well, he would, seeing as he is one himself, but he's also very loyal to Dumbledore, who helped him out of a tight spot once. It pays to have someone like Dung around. He hears things we don't. But Molly thinks inviting him to stay to dinner is going too far because she still doesn't forget him for slip off duty when he's supposed to be telling you. So that's pretty important too. And then also what you were talking about when his like looking for valuables to steal in Sirius's home, he actually does do that. Not to give a spoiler, it's not really a spoiler away. He actually does do that later on in the series. He takes stuff <laughs> from that house and sells it. Like that's exactly what he does. <laughs> Screwed but, up, man. It's nuts. Uh, yeah. To get the, the, like to your point though, this is probably one of the bigger things that we're going to talk about in this episode is when Sirius stands up for Harry and like tries to inform him so like and they, i think they both kind of got a little nasty with each other right like mm-hmm. they are they like serious mrs weasley, weasley argue and mrs weasley gets a little nasty and kind of like tells him you know he's not he's not james like that's kind of messed up like you don't do that like <laughs> actually I'll, I'll read that part he's like he's not a member of the order of phoenix and mrs B. he's only 15 and he's dealt with as much as most in the order, said Sirius, and more than some. No one's denying what he's done, said Mrs. Weasley, her voice rising, her fist trembling on the arms of her chair. But he's still, he's not a child, said Sirius impatiently. He's not an adult either, said Mrs. Weasley, the color rising in her cheeks. He's not James, Sirius. I'm perfectly <laughs> clear who he is, thanks, Molly, said Sirius coldly. I'm not sure you are. Sometimes the way you talk about it, it's as though you think you've got your best friend back. What's wrong with that, said Harry. What's wrong, Harry, is that you are not your father, however much you might look like him, said Mrs. Weasley, her eyes still boring into Sirius. You are still at school, and adults responsible for you should not forget it. Meaning I'm an irresponsible godfather, demanded Sirius, his voice rising. Meaning you've been known to act rashly, Sirius, and which is why Dumbledore keeps reminding you to stay at home. 
We'll leave my instructions from Dumbledore out of this, if you please, said Sirius Thirdly. But, uh, so this is like, they're getting back and forth, getting real kind of, like you said, you know, hey, that's up to your parents, you know, while their parents are right there in front of them. And then she <laughs> right. comes back like, oh, Harry's not James Sirius. Like, like, like damn, man, they're like, they're getting kind of nasty with each other, but... Long story everyone's short, everyone's got a damn attitude in this book for some reason. Like everyone's, everyone's got their butt on their shoulders and feels sorry for themselves. <laughs> they all double door. All got attitudes for sure, man. And like so, in, in page ninety one, basically they Mrs. Weasley gets overruled. So Harry, Ron, Hermione, Fred, and George, they all get to stay. They all get to stay and get to listen to what's going on. And the first thing we learned is so far there's no suspicious deaths from Voldemort because he's trying not to draw attention from himself. And so what I'll do is I'll actually read from page 92 from the top of the page here all the way through uh, the end of the chapter, honestly, just yeah. because this is Take it. some Take of the it. biggest, yeah, one of the biggest stuff that we're, we're going to do. Mm-hmm. That's because there haven't been any suspicious deaths yet, said Sirius. Not as far as we know anyways, and we know quite a lot. More than he thinks we do anyways, said Lupin. How can we stop killing people, Harry asks. He knew that Voldemort had murdered more than once in his last year alone. Because he doesn't want to draw attention to himself at the moment. It would be dangerous for him. His comeback didn't come off quite the way he wanted to, you see. He messed it up. Or rather, you messed it up for him, said Lupin with a satisfied smile. How? Harry asked perplexedly. You weren't supposed to survive. Nobody apart from his Death Eaters were supposed to know he'd come back. But you survived to bear witness. And the very last person he wanted alerted to his return the moment he got back was Dumbledore. And you made sure Dumbledore knew at once. How has that helped? asked Harry. Are you kidding? said Bill incredulously. Dumbledore was the only one you know who was ever scared of. Thanks to you, Dumbledore was able to recall the Order of the Phoenix about an hour after Voldemort returned. Isn't that kind of cool? Like an hour later you got the whole gang back together after 13 years? That's pretty dope. Uh, Can can I ask you a question about that? 100%. Because since we, I guess this is really like in my plot holes, but since we're kind of doing a, like a different outline now, because I usually like, you bring up the plot holes because you're the, you're the plot hole guy, man. You hit them on the head. So I want to get your opinion on that. Um, of course, I'm, I'm backtracking here because I skipped ahead because I knew you were going to take <laughs> the rest of the chapter there. Um, but I want to bring that part up. So that's my argument. Okay, so I'll just. I, I got it off the top of my head anyways. So as far as... Remember where we had a goblet. I think that's a plot hole. Because I understand... You can let the Order know very quickly. And he would have probably had to let the Order know... Literally right as Harry said... He's back. He's back. But like literally like an hour... After I guess like the whole thing went down... Like for the whole Order to know... Like, I, it's not really a plot hole because it can happen. Like, it's magic. But to get the whole order back together an hour after it happened, I feel like it was an hour of him just laying there and crying about it. Over, like, Cedric. Like, it was an hour of him crying about it and grabbing onto Dumbledore. And Dumbledore was sitting in the middle of the stadium like, all right, Harry. Like, first of all, like, yeah, okay, I guess the only way I could see this even plausible is if he got the order together between the time he went after Alistair Moody that we talked about. But if you're talking about the plot time, of you know, Harry is laying there crying on the ground. He's back. He's back. Freaked out. 
or especially the film side. He's back. He's back. Okay, Harry. Yeah, much better in the books the way you did it. But then, like, he followed Moody into the office. So either it would have had to take place during that little piece of time frame, which Moody, which, remember, that doesn't really make sense because Dumbledore said he was watching him and knew it wasn't the real Alistair Moody by he asked him to come in his office and he would have never had Harry take him out of his sight at that point. Uh, so... Like, how is that even possible with everything that was going on unless he just, like, the minute he said he's back, like, he sent out, like, some sort of message in between the time he was, like, watching Moody. Like, that's the only real thing I can even pester up there to make it make sense. I I think you think you might be onto something just because think about the, the sequence of events that happened. Harry returns from the graveyard. Cedric Diggory's dead. He's got to answer questions from Diggory's parents. He doesn't have time to do yeah. anything. Like his parents, like run right up to him and like you know, like, like that's going on. Then he gets taken. Then Dumbledore has to follow with Snape and McGonagall to follow Moody up to that. And then even right after that, like he has to go to the headmaster's office to, to have Harry tell him and Sirius the exact events. Like there's, I don't, I don't see how that all was like less than an hour. Like that, that's. <laughs> That doesn't seem like that. All those events could take place in an hour's time, and on top of that, like they don't have the dark mark like Voldemort does, where he can just like kind of touch it and like all of a sudden they all know. I mean, maybe they do because we find out Hermione uses something similar to that later on for a cool right. uh, secret society I won't mention now. So like maybe they have something like that where they can get alerted at the drop of a hat, but like i don't know man it's a good question i don't have a like clear-cut that, answer tight squeeze like yeah. talk about squeezing it in between class like <laughs> <laughs> okay i'm gonna follow into the office so i can hear the story as i'm shooting this in the air to get them all back together which i'm like you know just taking this boy's word for it at this point because i haven't heard the story yet but just throwing that out there man <laughs> but yeah, i'll, no, I'll let you take it away brother. definitely a good question i'm not sure but yeah i'll go continue on there and say uh he said, "You, you, thanks to you, Dumbledore was able to recall the Order of the Phoenix about an hour after Voldemort returned, said Sirius. So what's the Order been doing, said Harry, looking around at them all. Working as hard as we can to make sure Voldemort can't carry out his plans. How do you know what his plans are, Harry asked quietly. Dumbledore's got a shrewd idea, said Lupin, and Dumbledore's shrewd ideas normally turn out to be accurate. So what is Dumbledore reckoning he's planning? First, he wants to build up his army again, said Sirius. In the old days, he had huge numbers at his command. Witches and wizards he'd bullied or bewitched into following him. His faithful Death Eaters. A great variety of dark creatures. You heard him planning to recruit the giants. Well, they're just one group he's after. He's certainly not going to try and take on the Ministry of Magic with only a dozen Death Eaters. So you're trying, you're, you're trying to stop him from getting more followers. We're doing our best, said Lupin. How? Well, the main thing is to try to convince as many people as possible that you know who really has returned to put them on their guard. It's proving tricky, though. Why? Because of the Ministry's attitude, said Tonks. You saw Cornelius Fudge after you know who came back, Harry. Well, he hasn't shifted his position at all. He's absolutely refusing to believe it happened. But why, Harry said desperately, why is he being so stupid? If Dumbledore... Ah, well, you've put your finger on the problem, said Mr. Weasley with a wry smile. Dumbledore. Fudge is frightened of him, you see, said Tonks sadly. Frightened of Dumbledore, said Harry incredulously. Frightened of what he's up to, said Mr. Weasley. You see, Fudge thinks Dumbledore is plotting to overthrow him. He thinks Dumbledore wants to be Minister of Magic. 
But Dumbledore doesn't want... I, of course he doesn't, Mr. Weasley. He's never wanted the minister's job, even though a lot of people wanted him to take it when Millicent Bagnold retired. Fudge came to power instead, but he's never quite forgotten how much popular support Dumbledore had, even though Dumbledore never applied for the job. Deep down, Fudge knows Dumbledore is much cleverer, cleverer than he is, a much more powerful wizard, and in the early days of his ministry, he was forever asking Dumbledore for help and advice, said Lupin. But it seems that he's become fond of power now, and much more confident. He loves being Minister of Magic, and he's managed to convince himself that he's the clever one, and Dumbledore is simply stirring up trouble for the sake of it. How can he think that, said Harry angrily. How can he think Dumbledore would just make it all up, that I'd make it all up? Because accepting Voldemort's back would mean trouble like the Ministry hasn't had to cope with for nearly 14 years, said Sirius. Fudge just can't bring himself to face it. It's so much more comfortable to convince himself Dumbledore is lying to destabilize him. You see the problem, said Lupin, is while the Ministry insists there's nothing to fear from Voldemort, it's hard to convince people he's back, especially as they don't really want to believe it in the first place. What's more, the Ministry is leaning heavily on the Dilly Prophet to not report any of what they're calling Dumbledore's rumor-mongering, so most of the wizarding community are completely unaware anything's happened. And that makes them easy targets for the Death Eaters if they're using the Imperious Curse. But you're still telling people, aren't you? said Harry, looking around at Mr. Weasley, Sirius, Bill, Mundungus, Lupin, and Tonks. You're letting people know he's back. They all smiled humorously. Well, as everyone thinks I'm a mad mass murderer, and the Ministry's put a 10,000 galleon price on my head, I can hardly stroll up the street and start hitting out leaflets, can I? said Sirius restlessly. And I'm not a very popular dinner guest with most of the community. It's an occupational hazard of being a werewolf, said Lupin. Tonks and Oscar would lose their jobs at the Ministry if they started shooting their mouths off, said Sirius. And it's very important for us to have spies inside the Ministry, because you can bet Voldemort will have them himself. We've managed to convince a couple people, though, said Mr. Weasley. Tonks here, for one. She's too young to have been in the Order the last time. And having Aurors on her side is a huge advantage. Kingsley Shacklebolt's been a real asset, too. He's in charge for the hunt for Sirius, so he's been feeding the Ministry information that Sirius is in Tibet. But if none of you is putting the news out that Voldemort's back, who said none of us are putting the news out, said Sirius, why do you think Dumbledore's in so much trouble? What do you mean? They're trying to discredit him. Didn't you see a Daily Prophet last week? They reported that he'd been voted out of the chairman of the International Confederations of Wizards because he's getting old and losing his grip. But that's not true. He was voted out by Ministry Wizards after he made a speech announcing Voldemort's return. They demoted him from Chief Warlock on the Wizen Gambit, that's the Wizard High Court. And they're talking about taking away his Order of Merlin First Class too. But Dumbledore says he doesn't care what they do, as long as they don't take him off to Chocolate Frogs, said Bill, grinning. <laughs> it's no laughing matter, said Mr. Weezy shortly. If he carries on to find the Ministry like this, he could end up in Azkaban. And the last thing we want is Dumbledore locked up. While you know who knows Dumbledore is out there and why is what he's up to, he's going to go cautiously for a while. If Dumbledore's out of the way, well, you know he will have a clear field. But if, Dumbledore's, I mean, but if Voldemort's trying to recruit more Death Eaters, it's bound to get out that he's come back, isn't it? Voldemort doesn't march up to people's houses and bang on their front doors, Harry, said Sirius. He tricks, jinxes, and blackmails them. He's well-practiced at operating in secrecy. In any case, gathering followers is the only one thing he's interested in. Isn't the only one thing he's interested in. He's got other plans, too. Plans he can put into operation very quietly indeed, and he's concentrating on them at the moment. What's he after apart from his followers? asked Harry swiftly. 
He thought he saw Sirius and Lupin exchange the most fleeting of looks before Sirius said, Stuff you can only get by stealth. When Harry continued to look puzzled, Sirius said, Like a weapon. Something he didn't have before. When he was powerful last time? Yes. Like what kind of weapon? Something worse than a Vada Kedavra? That's enough. Mrs. Weasley spoke from the shadows beside the door. Harry had not noticed her return from taking Ginny upstairs. Her arms were crossed and she looked furious. I want you in bed, all of you, she added looking around at Fred, George, Ron, and Hermione. You can't boss us for being a watch me, said Mrs. Uh, snarled Mrs. Weasley. She was trembling slightly as she looked serious. You've given Harry plenty of information. Any more and he might as well induct him into the order straight away. Why not, said Harry quickly. I'll join. I want to join. I want to fight. No, but it was not Mrs. Weasley who spoke this time, but Lupin. The order is comprised only of overage wizards, Harry. Wizards who have left school, he added, as Fred and George opened their mouths. There are dangers involved, of which none of you can have any idea. I think Molly's right, Sirius. We've said enough. Sirius half shrugged, but did not argue. And Mrs. Weasley beckoned imperiously to her sons and Hermione, and one by one they stood up, and Harry recognized defeat and followed suit. And that brings us to chapter six. So I'll turn that over to you, brother. Yeah, man. One thing I want to say about what we just talked about, I think this is, I think that's where he, Harry, when he was like, I want to join, that moment is where I feel like he lost the group and showed his immaturity. Because my argument to that is, you know, this kind of goes back to when I can even think, you know, now that I just turned dirty 30, right? Like, there is kind of that cabin there, and you know, you're, we're not, you're not, hate to break it to you, Jay Nelly, but you're not a spring chicken. <laughs> but we're, we're hanging in there, though, man. We're hanging in there, brother. Um, but it's like, when you get to our age, we can kind of look back, like, when we were, and I know you're the same way, because we, we've talked about this before. We look back to when we were, like, you know, 15 and, and, and 16, like, kind of that teenage stage and you look back and you start looking at things a little bit differently versus just flying off the handle like i know i used to when i was a kid like especially like you know i'm I'm sure my dad like the most quiet guy in the world like probably talked to me like a normal person but at the time in my head i was just instantly like off you know like (laughs) Like, yeah like uh it's like Harry showed his maturity there. Like, he should have taken a step back and realized, I get it, Harry. You have fought the most powerful wizard in the world. There is something to be said to that. Like, that's amazing talent. But at the same time, let's not sit here and act like you've also exceeded expectations on every Newt's exam. You're also on the level of these Aurorers either. Like, I understand, you're very talented for a kid, but let's not sit here and act... Like, in, when it comes down to it, I think he probably could take on Alistair Moody, but as far as experience and knowledge, if you're taking a, a step back and think about experience and knowledge, this kid is still 15. You can't put him on the level of these guys as far as the experience. These guys have been around the block a few times. They've seen what's going on, and I think they were kind of opening up to him. And that's when Lupin was like, you know, I feel like they probably would have given him more information. But by him making that comment and flying off the handle again and really showing like how immature he is at this stage, if he had responded a different way, 
he probably would have gotten more information. But I feel like Lupin at that point was like, you know, like we've already told you enough because like you've gone to just by making that comment, like I want to join, like thinking you're ready for this. You think this is all that goes into it is you fight the most powerful wizard of all time. Not to mention from where you're at right now, like don't get me wrong, I, I know you're definitely talented enough to take him on, but let's not forget you also had some help in that fight. Like you, you weren't, that wasn't all your head about being so strategic on how you got out of that. You had a, a damn bit of luck, first of all, with Priori and Cantatum. That doesn't just happen to everybody. So let's not act like that wasn't just, you know, that was planned by you. You had some help. And that's just my point. Like, I feel like with that statement was when Lupin was like, you know, you really aren't mature to hear enough, hear all this. I'd be happy to tell you more, but you just proved by that emotional reaction that you're not mature enough for everything that's going on. Otherwise, I feel like they might even let him into some things that we find out in Half-Blood Prince. There's some very serious things that he needs to to find out because it involves him very much but he's not ready for it yet not at this stage what's your thoughts on that i'm not sure if they would have told him much more mrs Weasley was pretty because like pretty so because remember like in the actual leading up to that before they agreed to like actually say it what there was a very um important thing here it says uh I'm trying to because it says like we're not. It says something along the lines of they're not going to tell him everything, but just a general idea. That, that says right, they say that before right. they even go into it. So like they weren't planning on giving him like all the information, but it definitely didn't help his case at all. Like with him thinking he's ready to join this thing and he's 15. Like that's why the very last like paragraph that Lupin said like like none of you are ready for like none of, like there are some things that go into this that none of you are ready for. Any of you, no matter what you've done, you're all still puppies basically. So. Do you yeah, think? Uh, sorry, not to not to harp yeah, on this and keep moving to be efficient, but do you feel like uh, just a, a quick question here? Do you feel like it kind of like put Lupin off a little bit? Like all the time he's taken to train Harry. Like, do you think in Lupin's mind he would have thought? You know, I would have thought you would have responded a little bit more mature than that. I don't think it put him off. I think it scared him. I think it made him nervous yeah. because, like, think of what Lupin had to deal with growing up. Sirius mm-hmm. and James are both reckless. What happened? Right. James died. Sirius went to prison for 12 years. So, like, right. Harry seems to be following that kind of path. And I think it... Not that it put him off. I think it made him nervous. Yeah. It reminds me of, you can try. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, no. Uh, that was just my thoughts on that. So, did you want to uh, keep taking it, man? You're on uh, Sure. I'll, I'll take a couple more things here. So, going on to page uh, 100, there's... Uh, this is kind of funny. This is a quick foreshadow of, of uh, Ginny Weasley's bat bogey hex because she actually uses it. Uh, not this book, but next book. But he's mm-hmm. like, you've never been on the receiving end of one of her bat bogey hexes, have you? So I just thought that was just kind of cute, funny to, to bring up there. Um, that was actually, my, well, uh, George said that, but yeah. Anyways, uh, they were, they're sitting there trying to guess what the weapon is, right? They're sitting there, like, mm-hmm. all these things coming out. It's all ridiculous, but, like, they're... They 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 can't help us speculate, but yeah yeah, <laughs> you know which they're way off. Like every oh, single yeah. one of them is way so off, so far <laughs> off. And then in page one hundred three, 
that's when they start attacking that doxy infestation that I know yeah. you have some you have something to talk doxy. about. Yeah. No, so the only thing I have, I'm not going to get in detail of that because I think you've got something more to add to them, is that doxies have shiny beetle-like wings, tiny needle-sharp teeth, that's a fairy-like body covered in thick black fur, and they have four arms. So that's just like Killed the description it, I had there. Crushed uh, it. Then page 104... Uh, Fred and George, they want to experiment with the Doxy Venom for the Skyving Snack Boxes. That's their part they of their... Would. Yeah, right? That's a little bit of a fortune, too, like with the new things that they're developing with the money that Harry gave them from the Triwizard winnings. Like, mm-hmm. they, they, they did take it seriously, and they're inventing cool stuff. And as the book goes on, you'll see how cool it really is. Um, page 104. I'll read the last two paragraphs here, just mm-hmm. uh, talking about what some of the ones they've already developed are. Range of sweets to make you ill. That's what skiving snapbacks are, George whispered, keeping a wary eye on Mrs. Weasley's back. Not seriously ill, mind. Just ill enough to get you out of class whenever you feel like it. Fred and I have been developing them this summer. They're double-ended, color-coded chews. If you eat the orange half of the, pu- of the puking pastilles, you throw up. The moment you've been rushed out of the lesson for the hospital wing, you swallow the purple half, which restores you to full fitness, enabling you to pursue the leisure activity of your own choice, during an hour that would have otherwise been devoted to unprofitable boredom. That's what we're putting in our advertisements anyways, whispered Fred, who had edged over out of Mrs. Weasley's line of vision and was now sweeping a few stray doxies from the floor, adding them to his pocket. But they still need a bit of work. At the moment, our testers are having a bit of trouble stopping puking long enough to swallow the purple in. Testers? Us. So that's that's what I just wanted to read there, a little bit about their skiving snack boxes. You know what? Those are my guys, but... Oh, you, uh, you're, you're the Fred and George guy, man. Anything Fred and George, I'm all for it. You heck yeah, man. It, man. That's good stuff. Then in page 104, I'm sorry, 107, Mrs. Weasley loses her mind that Mundugus wants to hide his stolen cauldrons at the Order's headquarters. Like, this guy already has, like, he's on a short leash because Mrs. Weasley's already pissed that he uh, left Harry to deal with the Dementors alone. And, like, she already didn't even want to come over for dinner. But not only now is he coming over for dinner, he's bringing his stolen goods. He's fencing his stolen goods at Sirius's house at the Order of the Phoenix headquarters. She's not happy about it. And then the last one I have, and I'll turn it over to you, is Creature. He comes in and starts being rude to everybody. Like, says, like, mean, nasty things, like, to, to everyone in that room. Because, and why I bring it up is because his actions dictate a lot of some of the big moments later on down the road. So with that, brother, on page 108, I'll turn it over to you. Yeah, do you care if I take that part? I know that involves your boy Sirius. Yeah, so, no, take it. Oh. Yeah, please take it. Please take it, yeah. You sure? Yep. Okay, I don't like... Sirius is your guy, man. So, like, anything involving uh, Sirius, man, yeah, that's oh, all. Oh, yeah, t- take it, man. But, uh, I do like Creature here, just because, you know, I'm a house-elf guy. Yeah. <laughs> explained that a few times with my girl Hermione. Even though he's not exactly... He kind of reminds me a little bit of Winky, but worse. <laughs> yeah, yeah just mean. Yeah. Uh, just so I don't uh, cover what you already covered. What part on 108 did you stop at? Because I don't want to... Oh, I, did, I didn't I didn't say it. All I said is he came in and he was rude to everybody. I didn't say the exact words that he said to the people. Okay. I just said he came in and he was rude and said like really nasty things. And like his attitude kind of shows you how he doesn't like these people. And those actions go to affect things later on is basically what I said. Yeah. So I didn't read any of it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. I just, uh, I, I think our audience knows by now I get a little bit scatterbrained sometimes, so yeah. trying to be a little bit better about that, you know? <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, so I'll just kind of... Um, I want to read this part actually starting on 107, if that's okay, just because it, yeah. it makes a big point about his attitude. Yep. <laughs> Is that okay? Though. Absolutely. Okay. Um, so it goes, The elf took absolutely no notice of Harry and the rest, acting as though it cannot see him. It shuffled hunchback slowly and doggedly toward the far end of the room, muttering under its breath, all the while in a hoarse, deep voice like a bullfrog's. Smells like a drain and a criminal to boot, but she's no better. Nasty old blood trader with her brats, messing up my mistress's house, so my poor mistresses. If she knew, if she knew the scum that left in her house, what she would say to creature. Oh, shame of it. Mudbloods and werewolves and traitors and thieves and poor old creature. What can he do? Hello, creature, <laughs> said Fred loudly, closing the door with a snap. The house elf froze in his tracks, stopped muttering, and then gave a very pronounced and very unconceiving start of surprise. Creature did not see, young master, he said, turning around and bowing to Fred, still facing the carpet, he added, perfectly audibly. Nasty little brat of a blood traitor it is. I'm sorry, said George. I didn't catch that last bit. Creature said nothing, <laughs> said the elf with a second bow to George, adding in a clear tone. There's its twin. It's an unnatural beast they are. Harry didn't know whether to laugh or not. The elf straightened up, eyeing them all very male violently, apparently convinced that they could not hear him, and continued to mutter. And there's a mudblood standing with their bold as brass. Oh, if mistress knew, oh, how she'd cry. There's a new boy. Creature doesn't know his name. What's he doing here? creature doesn't know this is harry creature said hermione attentively harry potter creature's pale eyes widened and he muttered faster and more furious than ever the mudblood is take talking to creature as though she is my friend if creature's mistress saw him in such company oh what would she say don't call her mudblood said ron and jenny together very angrily it doesn't matter hermione whispered He's not in his right mind. He doesn't know what he's... Don't kid yourself, Hermione. He knows exactly what he's saying, said Fred, eyeing Creature with great dislike. Creature was still muttering, his eyes on Harry. Is it true? Is it Harry Potter? Creature can't see the scar. It must be true. That's the boy who stopped the Dark Lord. Creature wonders how he did it. Don't we all, Creature, said Fred. What do you want, anyways? George asked. Creature's huge eyes darted on George, onto George. Creature is cleaning, he said evasively. A likely story, <laughs> said a voice behind Harry. Sirius had come back. He was glowering at the elf from, do from the doorway. The noise in the hall had abated. Perhaps Miss Weasley and Madungus had moved their argument down into the kitchen at the sight of Sirius. Creature flung himself into a ridiculously low bow that flattened his snout-like nose to the floor. Stand up straight, said Sirius impatiently. Now, 
What are you up to? Creature is cleaning, the elf repeated. Creature lives to serve noble house of black. And it's getting blacker every day. It's it's filthy, said Sirius. And it's getting blacker every day. It's filthy. Master always liked his little joke, said Creature, bowing again and continuing in an undertone. Master was a nasty, ungrateful swine who broke his mother's heart. My mother didn't have a heart, Creature, Sirius snapped. She kept herself alive out of pure spite. Creature bowed again and said, Whatever Master says then, he muttered furiously, Master is a fit to wipe slime from his mother's boots. Oh, my poor mistress. What would she say if she saw a creature serving him? Oh, how she hated him! What a disappointment he was! I asked what you were up to, said Sirius coldly. Every time you show up pretending to be cleaning, you sneak off something off to your room so we can't throw it out. Creature would never move anything from its proper place in Master's house, said the elf, then muttered very fast, Mistress would never forgive Creature if the tapestry was thrown out. Seven centuries it's been in this family. Creatures must save it. Creature will not let Master and the blood traitors and brats destroy it. I thought it might be that, said Sirius, casting a disdainful look at the opposite wall. She'll have put another permanent sticking charm on the back of it, I do not doubt. But if I can't get rid of it, I certainly will. Now go away, Creature. It seemed that Creature did not dare disobey a direct order. Nevertheless, the look he gave Sirius as he shuffled out past him was redolent of the deepest loathing, and he muttered all the way out the room, Comes back from Azkaban ordering Creature around. Oh, my poor mistress. What would she say if she saw the house now? Scum living in it. Her treasures thrown out. She swore he was no son of hers. And he's back. They say he's a murderer, too. Keep muttering, and I will be a murderer, said Sirius irritably. And he slammed the door on the, sh- on the house elf. Shut on the elf. Sirius, he's not in his head, said Hermione pleadingly. I don't think he realizes we can hear him. He's been alone too long, said Sirius, taking mad orders from my mother's portrait and talking to himself. But he was always a foul little... If you just set him free, said Hermione, hopefully, maybe, we can't set him free. He knows too much about the order, said Sirius curtly. And anyways, the shock would kill him. You suggest to him that he leaves the house... See how he takes it. Sirius walked across the room where the tapestry creature had been trying to protect hung on the length of the wall. Harry and the others followed. And I'll let you take it from there, man. Awesome. Perfect. And so from there, we're going to get into a little bit about the old family tree of the House of Black. So that's kind of good <laughs> Ooh, stuff <big> here. It's kind of crazy, tree. too. Like, like The first thing it says is the noble, most, noble and most ancient House of Black. Tojur's Pur, which I don't, I didn't Google translate that, so I'm not sure what that means. <laughs> but, anyways, uh, the first thing before I even start reading it is that he, right underneath that, he mentions his brother, which is a pretty big foreshadow of certain things to come. Actually, it, <laughs> the big thing about his brother, he gets mentioned here on page 111 for the first time. The reason why it's such a big 
foreshadows because of what happens on page 116, but I'll, I'll get there in a second. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and read through the, the family tree here. So I used to be there, Sirius said, pointing at a small round charred hole in the tapestry, rather like a cigarette burn. My sweet old mother blasted me off after, after I ran away from home, and Creech was quite fond of muttering the story under his breath. <laughs> you ran away from home? When I was about 16, said Sirius, I had enough. Where'd you go, said Harry, asking him. Your dad's place, said Sirius. Your grandparents were really good about it. They sort of adopted me as a second son. Yeah, I camped out at your dad's during the school holidays, and then when I was 17, I got a place of my own. My uncle Alfred, he had left me a decent bit of, decent bit of gold, and he's been wiped off here too, and that's probably why. Anyways, after that, I looked after myself, but I was always welcome at Mr. and Mrs. Potter's for Sunday lunch, though. But why did you leave? Said Sirius smiled bitterly and ran a hand through his long, unkept hair. Because I hated the whole lot of them. My parents, with their pure blood mania, convinced that, that to be a black made you practically royal. My idiot brother, soft enough to believe them, that's him. Sirius jabbed a finger at the very bottom of the tree at the name Regulus Black. A date of death, some 15 years previously, followed by a date of birth. He was younger than me, and a much better son, as I was constantly reminded. Yeah, but he died. No, he said, but he died, said Harry. Yeah, said Sirius. Stupid idiot. He joined the Death Eaters. You're kidding. Come on, Harry. Haven't you seen enough of this house to tell what kind of wizards my family were, said Sirius testily? Were, were your parents Death Eaters as well? No, no, but believe me, they thought Voldemort had the right of it. They were all for the purification of the wizarding race, getting rid of Muggleborns and having purebloods in charge. They weren't alone either. There were quite a few people before Voldemort showed his true colors who thought that he had the right idea about things. They got cold feet when they saw what, was, what he was prepared to do to get that power, though. But I bet my parents thought Regulus was a right little hero for joining up at first. Was he killed by an Auror? Harry asked intently. No, no. He was murdered by Voldemort. Or on Voldemort's orders, more likely. I doubt Regulus was ever important enough to be killed by Voldemort in person. From what I found out after he died, he got in so far, then panicked about what he was able, to, was he, what he was being asked to do, and tried to back out. Well, you don't just hand in your resignation to Voldemort. It's a lifetime sentence or death. So, a lot to unpack here, guys, because Regulus Black is really the big leading thing of what they have to take care of next book talking about Harry and Dumbledore and he uh he we find out he's died he's died at Voldemort's request because it literally says he got in so far into the into Voldemort's inner group so far that he panicked and we know exactly how far he actually got if you've read the series so I'll leave that one there but very key, guys. Keep Regulus's name in mind. This is where it was mentioned. And the little foreshadow of this is how far he got into Voldemort's inner circle. Uh, now, page 113. There's a little bit of a foreshadow here. Actually, it's really the whole, the whole page because there was a certain portrait I was talking about, right? So I haven't looked at this for years. There's Phineas Nigellus, my great-great-grandfather, the least popular headmaster Hogwarts ever had. And our Madame Melfi, my cousin and my mother, tried to force through a ministry bill to make muggle hunting legal. 
And dear Aunt Eladora, she started the family tradition of beheading house elves when they got too old to carry tea trays. Of course, any time the family produced some halfway decent, they were disowned. I see Tonks isn't on here. Maybe that's why Creature won't take orders from her. He's supposed to do whatever anyone in the family asks him. You and Tonks are related? Harry asked surprised. Oh yeah, her mother, Andromeda, was my favorite cousin, said Sirius, examining the tapestry closely. No, Andromeda's not on here either. He pointed to another small, round burn mark between two names, Bellatrix and Narcissa. So that means Andromeda, Tonks's mom, is sisters with Bellatrix and Malfoy's mom, Narcissa. So it's Tonks's aunt is who it would be, right? No, her it's mother. Tonks. No, no. Tonks, so no, Tonks is Sirius's cousin, and Andromeda is is Tonks's mom. Says right. Oh, her but I'm mo- saying Bellatrix, Bellatrix Lestrange, and Narcissa. Uh, that's still Tonks's aunts because they're yeah, they're, yeah, they're Tonks. Yeah, so Tonks. Yeah, exactly. I thought you were talking about Tonks's mom. So they're Andromeda's. Oh, no, 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 yeah, they're Andromeda's yeah. sister and Tonks's aunt. Yes, mm-hmm. correct. Very yeah. correct. And so Andromeda's sisters are still here because they made lovely, respectable, pure blood marriages. But Andromeda married a Muggleboard Ted Tonks. So Sirius mimed blasting the tapestry with a wand and laughed sourly. Harry, however, did not laugh. He was too busy staring at the names to the right of Andromeda's burn mark. A double line of gold embroidery linked Narcissus of Black with Lucius Malfoy, and a single vertical gold line from their names led to Draco. You're related to the Malfoys. The purebud families are all interrelated, said Sirius. If you're only going to let your sons and daughters marry purebloods, your choices are very limited, and there are hardly any of us left. Molly and I are cousins by marriage, and Arthur is something like my second cousin once removed. But there's no point looking for me out here. If ever a family was a bunch of blood traders, it's the Weasleys. Pretty big stuff there, man. That's uh, Bellatrix and uh, Narcissa getting a little bit about them and how they're related to Sirius and Tonks. That's some heavy... That's unpacking some heavy stuff there. Yeah. Uh, now, page... Honestly, page 114. I'm going to do this last one and give it back to you. Uh, Harry was now looking at the name to the left of Andromeda's burn. Bellatrix Black which was connected by a double line to Rodolphus Lestrange. Lestrange, Harry said aloud, the name had stirred something in his memory. He knew it from somewhere, but for a moment he couldn't think where, though it gave him an odd, creeping sensation in the pit of his stomach. They're in Azkaban, said Sirius shortly. Harry looked up at him curiously. Bellatrix and her husband Rodolphus came in with Barty Crouch Jr., said Sirius in the same brusque voice. Rodolphus's brother Rabastin was with them too. So this is where we find out from Goblet, the fourth person that was in that trial. It was Rodolphus's brother, Rabastin. But anyways, and Harry remembered. He'd seen Bellatrix Lestrange inside Dumbledore's pensive, the strange device in which thoughts and memories could be stored. Tall, dark woman with heavy-lidded eyes who had once stood at her trial and proclaimed her continuing allegiance for Lord Voldemort, her pride that she had tried to find him after his downfall, and her conviction that she would one day be rewarded for her loyalty. You never said she was your... It doesn't matter if she's my cousin, snapped Sirius. As far as I'm concerned, they're not my family. She's certainly not my family. I haven't even seen her since I was your age, unless you caught a glimpse of her coming into Azkaban. Do you think I'm proud of having relatives like her? Sorry, Harry said quickly. I didn't mean... I was just surprised. It doesn't matter. Don't apologize. Sirius mumbled all at once. He turned away from the tapestry, his hand deeps in the pockets. I don't like being back here, he said, staring across the drawing room. I never thought I'd be stuck in this house again. And that's honestly a bit of foreshadow for why 
things turn out the way they do for Sirius later on. But with that, brother, I'm going to give it back to you. Yeah, man. Um, you kind of see there exactly what you were saying, too. Like, uh, you can definitely see a bit of Harry and Sirius, actually. Um, but first thing I kind of had from here is Sirius actually tells Harry that, uh, you know, his father that built the place, because, you know, it's it's such a, a really secure place that was put together at 12 Grimmauld Place. Um, it's unplottable to muggles. And uh, on top of that, Dumbledore has that as his protection on top of that and he says you'd be harder to find a safer house anywhere um also like Sirius tells Harry that nobody can just find the headquarters to the order unless Dumbledore's secret keeper personally tells them where it is and he brings up an example and he uh says that the note that Moody showed Harry was literally from Dumbledore which is how they were able to get there um and then uh, you know, Sirius starts talking about kind of the portrait there and just how things has progressed in his life. And he says, uh, he gave a short, like, bark-like laugh, and he was like, if my parents could see the use it was being put to now, as far as the house goes, well, my mother's portrait should give you some idea. Like, they would probably roll over in their grave <laughs> because the way their thoughts were. Um, and then Sirius uh, does tell... Harry that he actually asked Dumbledore for permission to escort him to the hearing for moral support. <laughs> and we'll see how far that goes. Um, and then, uh, you know, uh, just the last thing here, and I'll turn it back over to you, is like, Harry, you know, we're kind of back in his head at this moment. And uh, like, you know, how he's kind of feeling at this moment as things are coming closer and closer to that big kind of climactic moment and he says I wouldn't mind if I could just get out occasionally and do something useful I've asked Dumbledore whether I can escort you to the hearing this is serious talking escort you to the hearing as uh, sniffles obviously so I can give you a bit of moral support what do you think Harry felt as though his stomach had sunk through the dusty carpet he had not thought about the hearing once since dinner the previous evening and the excitement of being back with the people he liked best, of hearing everything that was going on, that had completely flown his mind. Take a shot. Ha <laughs> ha. That's in there. <laughs> uh, at Sirius's words, however, the crushing sense of dread returned to him. It almost makes you think, like, if you got, like, thought you aced a test and then the professor just drops off the F you just got. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, oh man. He stared at Hermione and the Weasleys, all tucking into their sandwiches. Thought how he would feel if they went back to Hogwarts without him. And uh, Sirius says here, just to kind of give him a little bit of relief. Um, actually, I'll let you take that part. You're the foreshadow guy. Uh, and I'll let you take it from there, man. So if you're talking you know about, like, I'd, I'd feel a lot better if, yeah. if I didn't have to go back to the Dursleys. Sirius. Uh, I was talking about where uh, Sirius kind of gives him like a little bit of foreshadowing here where it says you want me to uh, he's just talking about the hearing do you want me to take that part if you want if you want to yeah because okay. the next thing I have is yeah. about the locket on the next page so yeah oh gotcha uh, he just says uh, don't worry Sirius said Harry looked up and realized that Sirius had been watching him I'm sure they're going to clear you. There's definitely something in the International Statute of Secrecy 
about being allowed to use magic to save your own life. But if they do expel me, said Harry, can I come back and live with you? Sirius smiled sadly and said, we'll see. So it is kind of a little bit of foreshadowing um, for what kind of might happen, uh, you know, what we're about to kind of go up against here. Um, and with that part, you know, I'll turn it back over to you, man. Awesome. So this is one of my favorite parts in this book because it foreshadows one really big key item that it's easy to gloss over when you read it for the first time and go back when it's very first mentioned. This is on page 116, about halfway through the last paragraph. There was a musical box that emitted a faintly sinister, tinkling tune when wound, and they all found themselves becoming quite curiously weak and sleepy until Ginny had the sense to slam the lid shut. Also, a heavy locket that none of them could open. There you go. A heavy locket mm-hmm. none of them could open. Yep. There it is. That's... that's that's the big one there, man. Yep. And then, and then I will go ahead and tell you on the last page of 108, uh, the first sentence of the last paragraph on page 118 is, uh, despite the fact that he was still sleeping badly, still having dreams about corridors and locked doors that made a scar prickle, Harry was managing to have fun for the first time all summer. So the, the dreams about the corridors and locked doors is a bit of a foreshadow, obviously, yeah. <laughs> as well there. Now... Going on to page 122, because now we're at the chapter 7, the the Ministry of Magic here. On page 122, this is a a mention of this guy for the first time, but he comes up really in the last book. But anyways, Lupin glanced at Harry, then said to Tonks, What were you saying about Scrimmager? Oh yeah, we'll need to be a bit more careful. He's been asking Kingsley and me funny questions. So Scrimmager ends up becoming a prominent member of the Ministry of Magic in Book 7. And so I, that's what I'll say. That actually, he ends up becoming it in, in Book 6, but he has a big moment in Book 7. But anyways, <laughs> going on to page uh, one, let's see, 123 here. There is a foreshadow talking about... when I'm going to read from the part that it says, The Hearing. So this is just... This person, and she has a fate that is kind of a tragedy later on, but anyways. The hearing's on my floor in Amelia Bones' office. She's the head of the Department of Magical Law Enforcement, and she's the one who'll be questioning you. Amelia Bones comes up in Book 7 again, and that's all I'll say there. Now, going on from page that, 123 there, everyone kind of gives Harry like positive moral support for this hearing, like... Now, on page 125, Mr. Weasley and Harry, they use a visitor's entrance. It's an old red telephone box, and the code is 62442. thought that was kind of yeah. cool. Really uh, page 127, and this is a little bit about my interesting fact that, uh, that I'll do, is the Fountain of Magical Brethren. It consists of one noble-looking wizard with its wand pointing straight up in the air, a beautiful witch, a centaur, a goblin, and a house elf. And then I'll read the security process here on page 128, and I'll give it back to you, brother, and then we'll go on from there. So, let's see. So, security process, paragraphs 4, 5, 6, and 8. So, step over here, said the wizard in a bored voice. Harry walked closer to him, and the wizard held up a long golden rod, thin and flexible as a car aerial, and passed it up and down Harry's front and back. Wand, grunted the security wizard, 
and Harry put down the golden instrument and held out his hand. Harry produced his wand, and the wizard dropped it onto the strange brass instrument, which looked something like a set of scales with only one dish. It began to vibrate. A narrow strip of apartment came out, speeding out of the slit of its base. The wizard tore this off and read the writing upon it. Eleven inches. Phoenix feather core. Been in use four years. Does that sound correct? Yes, said Harry nervously. Well, I keep this, and you get this back. So that was a little bit about the security process of what happens at, like, at a courthouse. They, they put you through the metal detectors for any weapons and stuff. It just kind of reminded me of that. And so from there, brother, I'll give it to you. Yeah, man. No, I thought it was great. Um, did you already pass? Uh, I know you didn't pass it. I just didn't want to. I wasn't sure if you put a little in there. I was going to, the part I was going to actually read was where uh, they're going through the levels of the floors, if that's okay. I didn't read them. Go ahead. Like, I have them, but you re read them. Go ahead. Gotcha. I just didn't want to step on your toes if uh, you wanted to. Oh, no. You're good, brother. Or anything. Okay. Uh, I'm just pulling up that part in the book here. It's funny because it goes from, like, level seven down to level yeah, one. So it's I interesting thought, how it goes. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, just to bring up the levels here, though, just because we've talked about it before, which is is really cool um, part here. So uh, in the in the levels, just so everyone can see this. So going down from the levels, level seven is the Department of Magical Games and Sports, incorporating the British and Irish Quidditch League headquarters, official Gobstones Club, and ludicrous offices. The level six is the Department of Magical Transport, Transport, in operating the Flu Network Authority. Uh, the Broom Regulatory Control, Port Key Office, and Apparition Test Center. At level five, the Department of International Magical Corporation, uh, which is the International Magical Trading Standards Body, also the International Magical Office of Law, and International Confederation of Wizards British Seats. Level four is the Department of Regulation and Control of Magical Creatures, incorporating beasts being in spirit divisions goblin liaison office in the advisory bureau uh, the department of magical accidents is level three in catastrophes uh, which we we're talking about like if someone apparated in half or something including accidental magical reversal squad obliviator headquarters and the muggle worthy excuse and then level two is where they wind up actually getting off at which is the department of magical uh, law enforcement including improper use of magic office Aurora Headquarters, and uh, Wizengam Administration scenarios. We don't have to read through all that because that's actually like a, a lot. So like I think it's just good to definitely say the levels on there is what I would say. Yeah. Like it's good to actually say the levels. That's what I had. Um, and then we can yep. kind of go on for there so we can always be efficient. But um, I definitely wanted to highlight the levels because those are pretty cool because they play roles later on that are uh, really relative as far as that goes and i'll let yep. you take it back 100 percent that's exactly what i had was the just the levels i had like level seven level six five four three two one all the way down but yeah awesome. um that only thing is i've only got a couple more things here which is crazy like it's funny how it goes uh, through this but mr weasley's office in page 132 is smaller than a broom cupboard thought that was interesting because it yeah. kind of shows you what kind of level of respect or lack of respect they have for mr mm -hmm. weasley um page 133 we hear about the regurgitating toilets. Yeah, and, yeah, uh, that was great. What, later, later on, we figure out who was responsible and how they got what was coming to them. Uh, we also hear about the quibbler for the first time on page one thirty-three. Yeah, 
Page 134, they actually... Yeah, right? In page 134, they changed the time and location of Harry's um, hearing to 8 a.m. and down in old courtroom 10 now. So this is crazy because this is like a real actual trial. It's very interesting. Um, I also wanted to just put a a quick foreshadow in here that level 9 is the Department of Mysteries. Um, yeah, that's because like yeah, they they said that as they kind of there, and even with the, in that same page, like Bode and Miss Bode and Mr. Weasley, they explain they exchange pleasantries in the elevator. Mr. Bode, he's actually someone that's been mentioned since the very first mm-hmm. book in Sorcerer's Stone. Something bad happens to him later, so keep a remember keep an uh, ear out for his name in the future, folks. Um, page one hundred and thirty-six. Here he enters the courtroom alone. He has no idea what to do. Like Mr. Weasley has to stop off, and he just enters it alone. Uh, the courtroom hearing is the same room that Harry saw the Death Eater trials take place in the Pensieve. That was interesting. So they got like a full-blown trial thing. Uh, they give Harry a hard time about being late, even though they changed the time and place last second. They're like, oh, sorry, yeah, it's not the Wizengamot's fault that you can't get to your mail delivered. Like, crazy stuff. <laughs> uh Dumbledore arrived, even though the Wizen Gamut did not inform him of the location and time change. So Dumbledore said he arrived at the ministry four hours early. Like he's he's a beast. Like we, he comes in with some facts ready to go. And similarly on page one thirty nine, we're actually introduced to Dolores Jane Umbridge, who is senior undersecretary to the minister. For the first time, we hear about her, and she is a piece of work that we'll find out as this oh, book yeah. goes on. But real class act. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Page 140, I'm going to go ahead and t- give you guys sure. what the exact charges are that uh, Harry was was um, charged with. Fudge extricated a piece of parchment from the pile before him, took a deep breath and read, The charges against the accused are as follows. That he did knowingly, deliberately, and in full awareness of the illegality of his actions, having received the previous written warning from the Ministry of Magic on a similar charge, Produce a Patronus charm in a Muggle-inhabited area in the presence of a Muggle on August the 2nd at 23 minutes past 9, which constitutes an offense under paragraph C of the Decree for the Reasonable Restriction of Underage Sorcery, 1875, and also under section 30, no, under section 13 of the International Confederation of Wizards Statute of Secrecy. So those were the exact charges that were leveled against Harry. Now, page 142, Fudge tries to discredit Harry's accountings of events. So what does Dumbledore do? On page 143, he brings in Mrs. Fig as a witness, the squib herself. <laughs> the she doesn't. Yeah, she doesn't do a great job of like uh, explaining what Dementors look like, but does an awesome job of explaining what they make you feel and like the effects of them. So that actually Jeez. really helped Harry out a lot. And so, on page 146... Dumbledore voices the opinion that the Dementors were sent there either by Lord Voldemort or someone in the Ministry. So that's a big foreshadow, and it's something that like he just he stood up there in front of them and said that to their face, like, "Oh, it's either Lord Voldemort sent it or the Ministry. You pick because it's one of those <laughs> two. Like that was crazy. And then so through page one forty seven, one forty eight, Dumbledore and Fudge kind of have like a battle of wits back and forth against yeah. each other. And that was that was pretty awesome. Dumbledore stays calm the whole time. You can see Fudge is getting emotional, like angry, yelling, barking, like orders and stuff. And <laughs> then I'll read on Go page one forty nine, second to last, yeah, third and second to last paragraph. 
says, <clears throat> here we go. The Ministry does not have the power to expel Hogwarts students, Cornelius, as I reminded you on the night of the 2nd of August, nor does it have the right to compensate wands until charges have been successfully proven. Again, I reminded you on the night of the 2nd of August. In your admirable haste to ensure that the law is upheld, you appear, inadvertently I am sure, to have overlooked a few laws yourself. Laws can be changed, said Fudge savagely. Of course they can, said Dumbledore, inclining his head. And you certainly seem to be making many changes, Cornelius. Why, in the few short weeks since I was asked to leave the Wizengamot, it has already be become practice to hold a full criminal trial to deal with a simple matter of underage magic. A few of the wizards shifted uncomfortably in their seats. Fudge turned a slight deeper shade of puce. A toad-like witch on his right, however, measly gazed at Dumbledore, her face quite expressionless. So, that was pretty, pretty important. And then... Long story short, to kind of close out the impact moments, Harry gets cleared of all charges. Dumbledore gets him off of everything. And the weird thing about it, though, in the last foreshadow also here in the same section, is that Dumbledore keeps avoiding Harry's eye contact. He has not once looked at Harry. He hasn't spoken to Harry. It's it's as if Dumbledore's representing Harry and Harry's not even in the room. Like, <laughs> he didn't yeah. even look at him. So, but long story short, we're at the part where Harry's cleared of all charges. We finished with the hearing. He's not expelled. He's going back to Hogwarts. Everything's right in the world. And that kind of closes us out on terms of the impact moments. And so what that kind of leads us into is the couple plot holes that I noticed. Now, I'm going to have you ask your opinion on them because I only have got two. Okay. I want to see what you think. But how did they not know in Chamber of Secrets that it was Dobby who did the magic but they somehow knew it was Mundungus at first because they only charged Harry with the Patronus charm. So think about this. <clears throat> I know that kind of sounded weird the way I phrased it. But they know specifically Harry is the one that cast the Patronus charm, right? And I asked myself, right. how do they know it's Harry? Well, he's the only wizard in the area. But he's not, because Mundungus was in the area, and Mundungus used uh, magic to apparate from out of the area. So they knew that wasn't Harry, that that apparition from Mundungus wasn't Harry. But so how did they not know, three years ago, that the magic that Dobby did wasn't Harry also? How did they not know that? My thoughts on that is it makes me wonder whether they're out to get Harry. Like, because they almost feel like, almost like oh, all yeah. the Daily Prophet's doing, like... Maybe someone in there going all the way back to year two, which I would doubt. I mean, that's a that's a hard stretch because I don't think Fudge really had it out for him this bad. Back the then, no. Yeah, because, I mean, right. you go back to Sorcerer's Stone in, in Chamber, especially Chamber, like, where you see Fudge for just the brief minutes. He doesn't seem like that bad of a guy. I mean, even when you get to that part. Where no, he's on like, Harry's you know, side. I got my hands tied. Yeah, he's yeah. got Harry's back like through the majority. Like, like through book three, he had picked up from the night bus, gave him a room in the Leaky Cauldron. Like said he wasn't getting in any trouble. Like yeah, Fudge has yeah. like been yeah, cool up back. until this point. So like, how do they how do they not know in Chamber of Secrets that it was Dobby that did that magic and not Harry? But they know Harry didn't apparate, but they knew it was Mundungus, and they but they know Harry's the one that produced the Patronus. Like, there's no consistency of like how they know who does what magic. Yeah, it's almost like they wanted to give off this idea like it was, like, like framed or something. But, like, that really contradicts it because it seems like he had Harry's back 
all the way up into the point of last, you know, I say last year, last book, when that whole really rift went down between him and Albus, that's really where I felt like it broke apart. Before that, I mean, he was even dropping off Harry's winnings, was going to do the ceremony, you know, always had Harry's back, so... <laughs> obviously they need a better uh gps system <laughs> yeah is what they really need old tracker yeah uh, i, I don't have it? an answer for that i think you're definitely onto something there and the last thing i have this is not a plot hole this is just a question which i wish would have been explained in the plot remember mm-hmm. like when the dementors like affected dudley and like dudley was saying that he was hearing voices in the head like i just i'm right. curious what dudley heard like because like Dementors suck all the bad memories. Like they put all the bad memories to the forefront of your brain. But like, he's had a great life. He's gotten everything he's ever wanted. His parents buy him everything. They live in a nice house. So like, what dark, creepy memories are coming to his mind? Like, what are some of the things? I just wonder. You know, what were the voices he was hearing inside his head? And like, how could it affect him when he's had pretty much the most ideal life you can? Yeah, I mean, I don't know how he get. In the words of Justin Bieber. Feel so low, <laughs> lonely, because his ass had like his cousins over every damn day of the week, or his mom and dad was there taking him to museums and in movie theaters all the time. If he didn't get enough gifts, they went and bought him one more with thirty-one. I I don't know, man. I would just like. Uh, I mean, yeah, I don't. It's not a plot hole. It's just something curious. Everything. I mean, I guess. I guess you know. They here's an here's like how you could explain that is they do say how like for instance like some actors and actresses that have all the money in the world uh, some people try to give them everything but there's just that piece missing like maybe that's like what it would take away like it would put in like bad thoughts maybe i i don't know i can't answer that unfortunately yeah i don't think any of us can because it wasn't explained what he heard in his head but that was just curious but anyways that's all i had those are the only two things i even brought up but I think that brings us into our interesting facts section, brother. So what yeah, I'll what I'll do, if you don't mind, because it takes me 10 seconds to go, go through mine. Go I'll just it. knock mine out here quickly. But uh, just mine's about the magical fountain, the fountain of magical brethren. So it's a fountain that's located in the atrium of the Ministry of Magic. Uh, it's depicting the golden figures of a wizard, witch, centaur, goblin, and house elf, with jets of water streamed out from various points in the statue. Now, the fountain was located... Halfway down the hall of the atrium on level 8 of the ministry, golden statues are located in the middle of the pool, and the tallest of them was a wizard with a wand pointing straight in the air, and around the statues were, like I said, a witch, centaur, goblin, and house elf, and the jets of water came out from the two wands, the centaur's arrow, the tip of the goblin's hat, and each of the house elf's ears. And all proceeds that you'd put into that fountain of magical brethren, they all go to St. Mungo's Hospital for Magical Maladies and Injuries. So that's really cool that it's like 100% of the, the profits that you put into that go right to people who need it, right? Uh, <clears throat> there's a message on the fountain. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, The witch and wizard are two focal points, with the other lower beings looking up in awe and adoration. This is obviously unrealistic, since goblins and centaurs consider themselves superior to witches and wizards. House elves, on the other hand, they have no joy in life other to be in the service, so... The fountain supposedly represented harmony in the wizarding world, though that what Dumbledore says is, and this is later on, that the witches and wizards have mistreated and abused their fellows for a long time, and now this is kind of where we're at. So uh, that's where I'll leave it because the rest of that happens to that fountain happens later in this book, and so uh, ironically, with your favorite and your favorite uh, chapter, so. 
with that, man, that was my interesting fact about the Fountain of Magical Brethren. I'll turn it over to you to close us out with your interesting fact and and uh, say goodbye for episode one of uh, Order. Yeah, man. Uh, what's funny, I was laughing. The reason I was uh, almost jumped in there for a minute because I was going to say I forgot about my favorite section. <laughs> like, because of the new outline, I almost forgot about it, man. Uh, I think my interesting fact is actually doxies, if you didn't pick up on that earlier. You hit it pretty much nail on the head. Uh, I mean, just like you said, you know, they have those extra arms and legs and there's purple and brown. Uh, I got in here, they can actually be found in North America and Europe frequently, ironically. So, right where we're at, man. Um, They actually have been confused a lot with the fairy class, but they're actually in their own class. Like you said, they have those venomous teeth. But here's the cool part. Um, So the cool part about this is they actually bury their eggs uh, underground, and this is what causes infestation. All at one time, they can lay up to 500 eggs at one time, which is why they were having all those problems in Sirius's house. So you could have a big problem within like a a day. It's like termites, but even worse. Um, You can take a potion or antidote if you get bitten by one. Um, Generally, the hatching, though, for infestations is two to three weeks. So it can be really quick. Um, They can actually be dispersed in a house if you want to cause use the knockback jinx curse, which actually disperses them like all their eggs in a house, and you would never know about it. Uh, my last part of my interesting fact here is, so uh, it's doxicide, so that they were using earlier. So doxicide that's used for killing doxies, uh, it's known ingredients are bundamun ooze, uh, steeler shells, dragon liver, uh, hemlock essence, tormatil tincture, uh, cow bone essence, and it was originally developed by Zygmunk Bunge, which we've talked about before. He's actually known as, I've told you before, he's actually known as the most known uh, potion maker, actually the most famous one. He actually graduated Hogwarts at the age of 14. He skipped so many grades. One, actually, the Wizards Potion competition I told you about that they had, won it multiple times. Uh, he actually is also known, this is where we talked about before, he actually wrote the Love Potion, he wrote a number of potions for herbology and zoology potions as well. Um, and then as far as like doxyside here, so it's that foul-smelling black potion. The way it works, though, is it paralyzes the doxies first. So temporarily, and what happens is as they're paralyzed on the ground, they get super hot, almost like, uh, almost like they're having like a fever of 102. And it gets so hot, it lights them on fire. And then they wind up burning alive. And the way it was developed was Zygmunt, after he graduated Hogwarts at 14, he moved out to an island by himself because he was kind of like a socially awkward person and didn't like being around people. Well, he was on his boat uh, and got stranded out in the middle of nowhere. Well, what happened? He landed on this island and the island was infested with them. And he had to come up with the potion on the spot as he was being swarmed by doxies. So the last part here is the brewing instructions how to make your own doxy potion is uh, juice the bundamun and add it to the cauldron and stir it quickly. Grind all the steeler shells into it, uh, into the cauldron. Then you're going to stir the potion and then you're going to wind up heating it up. 
um, as you're heating it up, so you're gonna heat it up to about 350 Fahrenheit, add the chopped dragon liver in there, and you're gonna stir it vigorously, and then add a dash of hemlock essence, and add uh, your cow bone in there. And then what's gonna happen is you're gonna keep stirring, keep stirring, and wave your wand around as it's heating up to that 350. And then eventually it's gonna uh, heat up that potion, it'll crush up, and that's how you can put it in a formula like Windex or whatever and spray it to you know burn those things alive. So almost like a hornet's nest, but 10 times worse, man. And that's my interesting fact. That's awesome, dude. You know what those things remind me of? They remind me of the pixies, the blue pixies in uh, Chamber <laughs> of Secrets. Like they they have like the four arms. Like that. They the ones the doxies have like black fur, but like they seem like in the similar uh, genus or species. Like in genetically, they yeah. kind of they kind of seem similar because like they are they are same size, same build. Like, but that's good stuff man yeah dude I great mean, stuff man this is this i wouldn't want him in my house no absolutely not absolutely not and that's honestly a really cool place to kind of leave us off with because we've covered a lot of stuff here for the episode one of order like you know we've chat with that this is like an, an eight chapter episode one of the bigger ones that we normally do like and we usually save it for the beginning where there's not so much content but like man i mean think of all the stuff that's already happened just here so far you know Harry's feels left out and alone and like isolated. Then all of a sudden, Dementor is coming and attack. Like he doesn't know if he's gonna get expelled or not. Like or if he's gonna go to Azkaban or not even. Then like he finally gets people to come pick him up, bring him to the secret like uh, hideout for the Order of the Phoenix. Then they they try to clean up the place as best they could. They learn a little bit about what they do in the Order of the Phoenix and what they've been up to. Then he's got to worry about this hearing if he's gonna be expelled or not for sure. He finally has a hearing. Dumbledore swoops in, saves the day, but literally doesn't even look at him. So we know he's going back to Hogwarts and he's happy, but he's still kind of left in a in a in a flummoxed position. Like it's like he's it's a very interesting area to to leave off. And at least you know we left it off on a good note this day of him being um, uh, not expelled. Like he gets to continue his education. But there's going to be a couple uh, episodes we leave off where it's not so happy in uh, this book, though. So did you have anything that you wanted to add before we uh, close out here today? That's it, man. I'm going to uh, put out that special. It's not just so the audience is prepared. Uh, these interesting facts episodes are really going to be like 40 minutes at the most. Like It's like a cool bonus thing we do for you guys uh, just for fun. But... Uh, uh, the reason I wanted to do it too is because I'll have a lot of interesting facts on like that tapestry that's in there, which is pretty cool. And like, so if you want to know a little bit more on like the tradition of the the not so cool people in the House of Black, because you know I'm always like, if you go back to Game of Thrones, House of Black and White, House of White and Black. <laughs> so uh, that'll have some stuff in there. But tune into that. Um, no, I think, I think, you know, our favorite phrase here is who gave you the order? That's who gave right. you the order? And yeah, man, this is fifth gear. And, uh, Hey, uh, Jay Nelly pulled me through this one, man. Cause uh, if you ask him, like I was prepared, you know, ready to go thinking I was ready to go. And I think the chapter that really got me was chapter six. Cause I thought that was going to be a breeze after you, you know, we kind of walk through the dementors and stuff there and it, it just gets thicker. So we're in the thick of it now, um, where we separate, you know, the adults from the children, and uh, we're taking you guys through it. We're leaving everything on the table for this one. Once again, thanks again for just always being there from the beginning uh, for us. It it really means the world, and 
it, it shows. We we definitely take into note on that. And with that, uh, I'll let Jay Nelly break us down, man. Yeah, you know that's my favorite thing to do, man. That sounds good. So, and like you said, like yeah, we are in the thick of it in terms of the entire series but in this book we're only getting started baby it's yeah. only chapters one through eight so it gets even in more in depth and intense from here so but that's all you guys get for today and as you know <laughs> this has been another ridiculous production chase and josh factor fantasy signing, signing off, off.